Get on the mic, bitch. Get on the mic. Get get on the What am I doing? Stopwatch. Just say something, okay? So mm-hmm. I can um, do the thing. Testicles. Always with the testicles. You <laughs> laugh. You're the only one, though. You know, it reminds me of the great uh, Greek philosopher, Testicles. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he was, was a ball. It. That was the whole joke. He was a ball. <laughs> he okay. was balls. He was a balls. Okay. So, I, yep. Somebody was telling me the other day yep. if you were one of those guys that puts testicles on the back of your truck yes. and your truck wasn't born with testicles, then your truck is trans. In fact. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. God, baby Jesus. Oh, God. No, that, that one. Yeah, okay. Uh,. Yeah, so we really prepared for this one, didn't we? Yes. You know, <laughs> I, I consider preparation for the show, my life is preparation. The last 89 shows. In fact, this is show number... Is it 90? 90. No shit. <laughs> oh. Sh- yes. Yeah, so um, for those of you who didn't believe we could do it... Um, nobody, you know, nobody believes that we couldn't do it. Nobody cared enough to not believe we right, exactly. <laughs> We're the only ones that mm, right. Yeah. So I, I never uh, thought we'd be sitting here two years later. It's right about two years, you know. You know, sometimes it, it's like weird thinking back on everything we've done with this show, and mm. like, it's a little like, wow, I can't believe we did that, but I'm glad we did. I'm glad we did too. We're and, not offering a cure. No. We're not offering. Uh, what are we offering? Comedy. Tragedy, intrigue, intrigue, mystery, and more. And more. <laughs> um, that's a good haircut, by the way. Uh, I haven't had my haircut for quite huh. a long time. But I, I've used my barber. Okay. You ever go to the barber and they're sitting there and then they try and like sell you a product? Yeah. I had to get a picture of this and why did it do that weird thing? Um, yeah. yeah, it's not bad. And you're always kind of like, yeah, that'll work. You're always kind of like, eh, I don't really want this, but you know, I feel bad because the barber of like, what, like pomade or something. Yeah, it's like um, <laughs> I forget what the name of it is, but it's like putty they call it. It's like barber's putty, yeah, and it's pomade. like in this red container, and it looks like uh, some one, little- one of their buddies showed up with a truck full of this stuff, and they bought it and they pushed it on me. So its advantage is I can grow my hair as long as I want and then just make it look like I'm wearing a helmet whenever I want. <laughs> because your hair, what was that? I don't know. It's your house. There's children about, there's things afoot upstairs. Um, so you bought it, you like it. It's the pie. I don't know if I like it. I just get makes my hair, and my hair smells like strawberries all the time. Yeah. I know he smelled something. <laughs> well, I get followed by wasps. So. I'm going to get diabetes just smelling your hair. <laughs> Diabetes. Um, and okay, go ahead. And we're back. Welcome to Recovery in the Middle Ages, the podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads in their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. I'm that X. I'm Mike. And boy, do we have a show for you. Boy, do we. Today on <laughs> RMA, after a long trip to the far-flung reaches of Greece, cloaked in the shadow of the Parthenon, a hop, skip, and a jump from seedy street vendors and tomatoes that would make an orange green with envy, Nadex returns to Castle Grayskull Studios. All this and more today on a very special edition of our 
M A. What makes it special today? Well, I know what makes the podcast special, Nat, and that's the Recovery in the Middle Ages Patreon. Yes. Yes. This episode is, in fact, brought to you by the Recovery in the Middle Ages Patreon. Uh, we are a um, community based recovery podcast, and we owe our existence to the support of listeners like you. Did I give you a, an outline? Yeah. Oh. I'm just going off the cuff, yeah, just making as sure. it were. Ad-libbing. Yeah. Lib it. Um, yeah. Patreon, of course, is our members-only subscription service where you can um, engage in heady dialogue on mm. the Discord server with other uh, monsters. Um, you get a picture, like I just took a picture of us recording. We post that little backstage. Yep. It's like a backstage pass to your recovery. Ooh, <laughs> you like that? Bingo. Bam. <laughs> um once uh, and videos will be posted there once I decide to start videoing the show again. It's happening. Uh, I think the thing to do is to be to put up the shows that are um, where we have guests that we're do that we do on Zoom or Zencaster because that is sort of a natural video thing rather than us staring at this little camera over here, which yeah. makes me self conscious and uh, you know I don't like what the light does to my skin tone and all this other stuff. I had an idea. Mm-hmm. Oh, when we had more time, I thought of when we. St- Started the Patreon. I was thinking, wouldn't it be cool, you know, because I have a microphone and a computer, and you have a microphone and a computer. Yeah. And I thought if we did, like, our own video diaries when we had time, like a five-minute, like, you get an idea, you come into the studio, you, hey, monsters, and this is what I was thinking, and here's what just happened. Yeah. Something like that. Um, then we could start putting up, like, some extra stuff on there. Yeah. yeah. Our deepest, darkest thoughts. We can share them with our Patreon I think folks. so. So if you want to become part of that, if you want to listen to me and Nat's mental diarrhea <laughs> more than you already do, There's plenty to go, uh, go to patreon.com slash recovery in the Middle Ages to learn more and to sign up. Yes. Um, Thank you. Here's where we go to the next part. Um, I just have one thing I needed to say. Yes, it's extremely do. important. Yes, it is. Welcome mm-hmm. to all the monsters listening stateside, around the world, down the street, across the table, and right next door. Welcome all. Settle in, buckle up, and get ready for excitement, comedy, tragedy, intrigue, mystery, and so much more. Uh, where can they find us, Mike? The usual podcast platforms. Perhaps our website. We- perhaps our website is operational at. Uh, yes. Oh, MiddleAgesRecovery.com. Um, leave us a five-star review on Apple iTunes, please. Are you moving? Are you yeah, shifting well, position? I like to look at you in, in the eyes. And we don't have the camera, so I can do it. That's right. That's right. Um, we're also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Facebook is pretty active. Instagram, not so much. Twitter, I don't even know what the fuck to do I post Twitter. on Twitter. Do you? Yeah, you know, I try to keep you know our, our twats out there happy. So, yeah, but our Twitter handle is... Recovery ages, something like that. Yeah. So, but if you search, search for it, recovery right? in the middle ages. Also, you if you want to follow me, sober on li, that's my handle on Twitter. Sober li is so, your Twitter. Sober on li, mm. and I'll I put up stuff occasionally as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and where are we with the recovery meetings that we haven't been going to? Um, well, right now there's a recovery meeting. Uh, was Sundays. And so right now, as we're sort of all getting reacclimated to an upcoming September schedule where things, if we've got kids, it's going to normalize a bit. Um, <laughs> That's the somewhat. only time I've ever heard that. We're looking to statement. either add a meeting or change the current meeting time. So currently it's 11 a.m., 1130 a.m. Sundays, Eastern Standard. 
Uh, and it's a great recovery meeting. Um, when I could get to it, it was great. I loved it. It's really just non 12 step. It's just discussion based. Um, <clears throat> it's very accepting, non judgmental, and um, we have a great time. And so if you're interested in that, um, you know, reach out to Mike R at middleagesrecovery.com for more. I think um, <clears throat> I'm targeting the week after Labor Day mm-hmm. for us to sort of have that ironed out. Okay. So we can have a meeting. I know there's a separate meeting that's scheduled for sometime in September that's focused on relationships and recovery. Have you seen that? I didn't. That's okay. really cool. With Check, check the Facebook group. Um, there should be some information on there. If there isn't, I'll make sure that a post goes up with the details about that meeting. Yeah. With all of these new monsters, you know, engaging, it's been so great. Like inevitably people want to talk more. They want to meet, they want to support each other's recovery. And so any way we can help with that, you know, we're looking to do it. So also, you know, give us ideas. If you've got an idea for a meeting or a show topic. Yeah. So, uh, like I said, leave us a five-star review that helps us uh, climb up the corporate ladder, you know, <laughs> so to speak. Um, or And leave us a message uh, at the RMA hotline at 516-888-6297. Uh, tell us your story on there. We haven't gotten too many of those lately. Um, but, no, uh, we haven't. And um, I blame you for that. Oh, okay. Because I don't want to blame myself. Except, I accept. <laughs> Maybe it's just God's fault. You know, I think what it is, is because we're on a regular, somewhat off schedule, I think people are not really sure yeah. how to interact with us in the best way. This is why we had to do it every week, but we just... I know. We'll and, get and you know, I feel like I feel like we need to... I feel like we need to get back to every week if we can. Mm-hmm. And because otherwise I feel like... Like today, we it almost didn't happen. Right. Because you were like a little... Yeah. And I was a little like, uh, um, you know... But if we expect it every week, you right. know, you... We just have to set it... it. Set a day and let's and do it. Given that it's going to be, it's going to change. Let's say we still have to set a day. Let's. Oh yeah, what day? Yeah, that's the problem. so Thursdays is no good. We can discuss off the year. Thursdays is okay for me. I don't know about for you. Yeah. Do you right. want to just say Thursdays? It, wasn't it always on Thursday? I don't remember. Yeah, I, I think. Well, it was Friday mornings for a while, and then it was you know. Right. Um. Listen, after why don't we say after Labor Day when September the first Thursday of September we'll do. A show. Yeah. I'm traveling a lot in September, though, so we may have to. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Sorry, guys. We'll, uh, thanks for that We're trying, tease. man. We're trying. We're trying. cock tease. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, anything for you, sweetie. <laughs> and, um, yeah, reach out and uh, give us an, uh, a review on Apple Podcast app. Um, we read them on the air, so if you want to hear blah, your blah, blah, blah. lovely words. We, did we check? Do we have any? Yeah, I just checked. And nothing, right? <clears throat> nothing new. Nothing new. Um, but, we're, but we're hanging on. We're hanging. Yeah, we're, we're getting new ones. There, man. Building up. Um, we have a monster speak, by the way. Yeah. What did they head up to? Let's take a peek. The segment we call Monster Speak. 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 Monster Speak. Monsters. So um, speak. <laughs> I did kind of a weird one this week. Um, you know, sometimes, as you guys know, on the uh, Inner Sanctum, I will just get like an idea, a passing thought. And um, and then I'll post it just to see what people think about what's going through my head. Um, usually with Monkster Speak, I'm a little more focused on my questions. But what happened this time was <laughs> I had this really kind of uh, this idea that was sort of ambiguous, I guess. But I figured it's still a good discussion topic. And um, I don't know. I want to see what you have to think. 
Um, being a lawyer involves justice. Is this about vasectomies? <clears throat> Not yet. Okay. Not up to that one. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, so it's in the news. I wrote... Lots of guys getting snipped. Did you know that? <laughs> I did. Yeah. How broken... Okay. Um, do you feel like the concept of justice is real when it comes to drug crimes or alleged drug crimes? Is it something that's attainable at all? Um, so I was really thinking about justice as like a concept, an idea. What is justice? Well, right. What is justice? You know, a lot of us, justice has been served, you know, but a lot of what happened to me legally was done in the name of justice. And, uh, I think maybe this idea to get justice or that we can even get any kind of justice is sort of, um, I don't know. I'm not sure that it's something, um, that's really representative of, of what it's supposed to mean. Mm. Um, so is that that's what I meant by a question. I didn't really have a question. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so in any case, Christopher uh, 57 tried, and um, he says, I'm not really understanding the question posed. Uh, as much as I do see what you're getting at, there is an enormously wide spectrum of what would be considered drug crimes, and that our current system, broken as it is, does little to nothing to deter them or rehabilitate those who commit crime and rarely offers anything to remediate the damages or losses suffered by the victims and victims' families. Um, huh. Yeah, okay, so now, actually, this is helping me crystallize this okay. in my mind. Uh, the great wizard of Munsterhaven says, that's Alan, I'm also trying to, uh, trying to answer the question, understand the question, but it says unsweetened. So <laughs> I think he had a... Did he write that, or did yeah. you... No, that was probably an autocorrect. So he's trying to understand the question. Best I can answer is, I believe that most of our drug laws are unjust. So how can we have justice? Okay, who are we talking about justice for, exactly? Because there's there's a whole bunch of crime, if you want to call them crimes. Right. I mean, addiction has been criminalized in our society to the point where we incarcerate people who have drug problems. In the okay? name of justice. In the name of justice. But we also have property crimes that stem from addiction. Right. Which should be punished in some way. But I don't think any of it is justice in the sense that we were all brought up to, like the Justice League. And I feel like the term is used as a weapon in a lot of cases. Well, first of all, you have a two-tier system of justice, right? People who have money, who can afford yeah. attorneys, who can, you know, can get themselves in much out of much more trouble than people who yeah. are just working off a, with a public defender uh, who is pushing a huge caseload and trying to get through as many cases right. as they can. So, so who's going to get the better deals in the long run? Like, does right? anybody get a justice? And it's a, the whole thing is a farce, really, because you know what do you? People make money here. You know, courts refer people to treatment centers to, you know, and, and AA has sort of weaseled its way into the courthouse yeah. to become like the primary uh, place where people are referred, you know? Mm -hmm. So like, what does justice even mean in this context? Like, I, I, I couldn't even tell you that. I mean, I don't understand the question. I know. Well, <laughs> this is, you know, why I asked it because I didn't understand the question. I think I was thinking about a few different things. I was driving to work. And I start, I think it's because I was listening to this podcast, which we're going to talk about today called Something is Wrong. And I just got to thinking about, because I was relating to it mm. and my story. And part of my story involves the justice system. Yeah. And, you know, even- It involves a, the court system. The court, Let's right, call it that. Right. Well, there's the Department of Justice, right? But a lot of what 
the consequences that I suffered due to my actions um, were done in the name of correcting some legal wrong that I had committed against society. And what I found was, for one thing, I knew that what was happening to me legally was way out of sync with the crime committed. Um, but anytime I would say something like, ah, maybe this is sort of over the top, I would get the response from different people. You know, you do the crime, you got to do the time. And, you know, that, or and I got, maybe this is for the best, you know, and that like, you know, this is paying for what you did. And, um, and I, and I understand that, but the notion that this is justice, like society is, you know, it's really revenge in certain ways. It didn't right a wrong. Isn't justice supposed to right a wrong? Like, well, justice is, right. it's supposed to be blind in the first instance, right? But in the second instance, like the thing that always pisses me off in criminal court or anything where, uh, uh someone is sitting in judgment of another human being is this pedantic attitude that the the judge has as if he's the moral arbiter of society yeah. and so he feels compelled to or she excuse me to deliver a lecture careful well listen i've had he or she or I, they. i've appeared in front of a number of judges of all uh sexes and predilections <laughs> and um if you know like how you get to be a judge, it really it's it doesn't have anything to do with the fact that you're a superior human being in any way. <laughs> no, my it, dad was a judge in you know one of these local townships. Okay, yeah. I mean you know I, I I was an arbiter trader in small claims court, so I I sat on a bench for a while too. Yeah. And and the thing is is a bit of a farce. But one the, the thing I really can't stand is when they lecture people about their behavior. Like at my case? Irritates me to no end because who they, the hell are they? Well, they did that to you and to me mostly with my speeding ticket. Oh. Uh, Mike uh, argued for me. He yeah. was like, what is this? And Have you seen this driving record? Yes. <laughs> Can you believe it? I'm like, I can't believe it. It's just you, you roll your eyes a little bit, you know, especially because, you know, you, I, I, I always go back to that, that case where those judges in Pennsylvania who were... Uh, in collusion with these um, tro- the troubled teen industry, and they were taking these kids, some of them as young as eight years old, who stole like a pack of bubble gum from a five and dime, and they were sentencing them to six months to two years in these facilities. Right. And the facilities were paying these judges a kickback. Yeah. And these judges would lecture these kids from the bench about how they're going to go wrong, and this let this be a lesson to you. I mean, suck my dick, really. Yes, you know? please, please, everyone. <laughs> Not not you people, no. <laughs> just the the judges in the judicial system. The judges in the yeah, and you know, and I don't know. I was just thinking about. Sometimes I think about like words and their meaning and how they're being misused, mm-hmm. and you know how have how do they affect our daily life? And I was just thinking like this idea of justice that's been percolating in our society and. It's just like it's in everybody's head, and it's you know. But why do we have feel the need to like? to take them this this moralistic view of addiction like why is addiction even in the criminal justice system right at all yeah it, right it's, i um, mean it hasn't worked great i mean there's always like three people who go i got clean in jail and you well know, good th- great in anecd- anecdotally but anecdote the plural of anecdote is not data right <laughs> very good <laughs> thank you <laughs> um you know so uh, look it's it's one of those things you know i've been chewing over this you know, the things I've been through. And I think this podcast that we listened to uh, for the show today really triggered me. Like, I feel like I, 
I really was affected by it in mm-hmm. a way that I haven't been listening to something. Well, the justice system definitely failed there at a number of different points. Yeah, on every angle. But um, in any case, um, I did get um, one response from uh, the wizened one um, because I gave an alternate question. Um, so let me just read my alternate question. I only had one answer, but this is a good one out there. And I'd like to get the monksters to send in, you know, their answer to this question, because mm-hmm. it's really one of those things I do think about. So I said, okay, once I realized nobody got my question, I said, here's an alternative. Paint me a mental picture of your first day after you quit drinking or using. Where were you? What were you thinking? How were you feeling? You know, like just what was it? How were you? Like, where Hung were you? Over. Like, yeah, like paint the picture. Were you right. home? Were you like waking up in prison? You know, there's like a, a million different interesting scenarios that we could get here. And it's because I often think about the next day after I had resolved again uh, to never drink. Um, and so uh, I did get a response from the wizened one, Alan, um, who writes, I was in the rehab where my family took me the day before. I'm one of the rare interventions that took. Mm. Interesting. Um, They gave me a carton of Marlboro Reds. Then they went home. So I had smoked for a week and no place else to go and figured I'd do these three hots in a cot and then go on another run when I got out. The joke was on me. I haven't had a drink or unprescribed mood-changing drug since. Mm. I remember it like yesterday. I was angry and scared and really, really wanted me uh, I really to wanted high. to get high. Yeah, yeah, really wanted to get high. Really. The third day is when something shifted. I was getting antsy and wanted to leave. Eddie, the night guy, talked to me and told me to leave in the morning. That's an old trick. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've right. heard that one. Uh, it was late and would be easier to hitch a ride back to the city in daylight. And he asked where I was going to go. That got my attention. I've been leaving tomorrow since that night, mm-hmm. like that. Not literally. I haven't had the obsession in many years, but sometimes I just get tired of the bullshit and want to stop. But bulls are going to shit, and I have a good life, so here I am. Um, thanks, Eddie, wherever you may be. Don't ever let someone tell you a carton of Marlboros and talking to someone who gets you can't be a power greater than you. Love all use monsters. Thank mm. you, Alan. That's so, a good one. That was good. So I feel like I redeem myself with the monster speak question. <sighs> yeah, because you know, I guess everybody's got their own sense of what's just in their own, in their heads, right? Yeah, and, yeah, and, and that's the problem when it's if everybody has a subjective view of what justice is, and justice is a huge part of our lives in the way that it's you know put forth in courts and people's opinions and the way they think about, you know, if somebody does something they don't like, you got to get justice for that. But laws are written to suit the needs of the lawmakers. They're not written in some sort of pure vacuum or they're not written. They're not, they're designed to keep social order. They're, they're not deeply considered in the, in most instances, especially when it comes to, uh, the, the thing that they taught me in law school that I remember being astonished by was that um, courts are rarely moved by science. Like you can't, uh-huh. you can't sort of like, you know, judges are not quick to adopt so, like 
new science. Right. So when it comes to addiction, when, when all you have is um, like AA sort of volunteering in the court system as being like where you should send people when you have nowhere else to send them, it's easy for a court to just say, okay, go to, go to this many meetings, get your card signed, you know, and that'll be evidence that you're working on your recovery. And I think a lot of AA groups, you know, I, I don't presume to speak for them, although I have heard this before, like they don't like that. They don't like having all those people who don't want to be there showing up just to get a card stamp so they can go right. back to court and say that they've done their thing, you know? Right. So, so what's being served there? Like people aren't getting better. I mean, um, it's just screwing up AA meetings by having all these folks in there who don't, you know, who aren't necessarily looking to get better. You know, could, shouldn't somebody be thinking of another direction that this yeah. whole operation should be going in? And what is the success rate for 30 day rehabs? It's, it's abysmal, right? It, it's, Almost better than not better than chance. Yeah. So. And, and it's, we have their published rates, like what they say, and yeah. even the ones the rehabs give out, yeah. the honest ones are terrible. It's like 7% yeah. stay sober an so, entire year. So why, why is the court system in this quixotic pursuit of what they perceive to be justice still engaging in this process. In, in, uh, <laughs> invoking the name of Don Quixote. I like that. Uh, 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 quixotic. quixotic. I love that yes. word. It's a great, it's one of my favorite words. Yeah. I think that, um, the drug courts, they, they have something called okay. drug court, as right. you know. So is that right. different or is that I, still a, a well, stuff all over you know, I, ha- I haven't been, I haven't been. I've heard um, stories of people like when I was in outpatient, like court mandated, I would hear about, you know, I mean, I don't think there. drug courts are necessarily a bad thing. Um, the question is, you know, is that the most effective way to get somebody to change to have a, the sort of prison hanging over their heads? I mean, I'm sure it's I'm sure it's a motivator, but um, like we're going to learn from from the podcast that we listened to this week, you know, you can have all sorts of legal things hanging over your head and right. just give them a hearty fuck you because you, because you're an addict and right. you know that all that and that drive that, you know, situation that's going on inside of your body and your mind is much stronger than any possible consequence. People have given, you know, even from alcohol, people give up their families in favor of the bottle. So, oh yeah, you know, is, does drug court work? Ah. I mean, so what does work mean? Like in, does drug court measure outcomes based on do the people who, complete drug court go to prison or do they go home? Is that the outcome that they measure? I don't really know. So yeah. I, it's hard to say whether they're effective or not. They, they have it. It's a very strict process where you go through stages, at least in New York. <clears throat> so you would go through, I think it, it's like stages one, two, and three. And the first one, you have like a certain number of restrictions and required meetings and being tested and returning to court to, you know, report on things. Right. And then if you test, and, and it also randomized drug screenings. And so a lot of people I was in rehab with um, would talk about how frustrating that was. So one of the things that was screwing them up is you're out of jail, of course. You're, you're, you've agreed to drug court. And they basically say, you know, you could be called any day of the week. Mm-hmm. And they call in, uh, I think it was a color. So if you're in the red group, right. you need to get to, uh, to the court to test within, I think it's six hours or something like that. And so because of that, people who are in drug court have an extremely difficult time. Forget about the fact that- How do you patch your life back together? Right. Forget about your employer knowing. That's a whole other thing. But just to commit to a job, 
because you're trying to build your life and then you get a call from drug court and you better get there. Mm-hmm. And it was really, but they test you and if you stay clean a certain number of days and then they graduate you. So, so. Joseph uh, Naus wrote very eloquently about his experience going in for a, a urine oh, test uh, yep. in his book. Um, yeah. What was the first one? Uh, the straight pepper diet. Straight pepper diet. Yep. Yeah. So check that out if you, if you want to get an idea about that. But, um, uh, the other thing about that is, you know, is there an acknowledgement that, that relapse is a part of recovery? So do they give you a couple of strikes or is it one and done? And then you're back in, you know, it usually depends on your probation officer. Yeah. And, um, I think there are strikes, but I think it depends on the severity of your charges or something like yeah. that. But yeah, basically, you know, they can, if you violate and you've got a dick, you go right yeah. to jail and then so. you, uh, back in. So, so is that justice? Justice. So write us, let us know. What do you think? Tell us your experience with the criminal justice system, oh. if you would like. I w- I'm always up for some good horror stories about people interfacing with the with the court system in the United States. Mike R. at MiddleAgesRecovery.com. Yeah. So, on to the life update, folks. It's been some time. We've had some adventures. We've had some living. Um, living has been done. And before I kvetch about my Greek trip, I would love to hear <laughs> Yeah, I have about, not heard about your Greek trip. Yeah, this is so much. I'm like, <laughs> it was a great time, but I want to get into it. But I'm really curious about this party you went to. That okay, well, you told me a little bit about it. Some of you guys might remember... Uh, a couple of weeks ago in our last episode, I mentioned I was going up to a my father-in-law's 80th birthday party at a lake in the Poconos in Pennsylvania. It was a surprise party. And I was going up there with some trepidation because my late wife's family has been known to tip back a few at these uh, affairs, more than a few, really. And uh, I was not disappointed in my... <laughs> In my concerns, let's put it that way. They lived um, up to the hype. They lived up to the hype. Um, but I mean, I if I have to tell you, when I go and I see people drink like what I saw that weekend, contrary to what you might think, like I would feel like I'm missing out and I would want to participate in this. Actually, it's quite the opposite. Yeah. I feel just utter revulsion yeah. looking at the they were what wasted. people look like. Well, okay. So like men, women, and children all drinking together. Kind of, kind of. Now I don't want to, you know, if, I, let me preface with what, what I'm about to say with the fact that I love these people to death and I've known them for many, many decades. Okay. However, but I was, and I was right alongside with them for, you know, 20 years. Right. right? But, um, to see it from the outside now, is quite a shocker because there's a couple folks in that family, like my sister-in-law, for example. Um, so we got there on a Friday afternoon and she had been drinking since noon and we got there around five Ugh. and then she kept going until midnight. Wait, it was a restaurant or someone's house? No, it was, we rented all rented a house together, which was awkward enough because it's like, yeah, I'm there with like, with Erin, who this is not her family at all. This is my late wife's family. Yeah, so, so that's, that's so it's in, it's amazing to me that she can yeah, tolerate wow. you know all that craziness. But uh, so I, I and I have such great appreciation for the fact that she is willing to you know she's an amazing that, woman. Yeah, she really is. <laughs> um, and my but my kids hadn't seen their cousins, and they have cousins that are around their age. So we get there, and everybody you know, there's lots of coolers full of beer, and you know, I I brought a I brought a 
six pack of uh, non-alcoholic beer and uh, a bottle of Boylan Shirley Temples, a four pack of those, <laughs> nice. thanks to you. And some those uh, are pretty good. The, uh, the and some Boylan's. root beers, right? Nice. Thinking, you know, okay, I'm I'm set. Um, but I, but everybody's drinking so much. Like my sister-in-law and my brother-in-law, they're not married to each other. They're married to other people. And, um, I would say they both went 15 to 20 beers in, in the time we were there. Wow. Jeez. Up to like one or two o'clock in the morning. Oh my God. And the worst of it was, uh, and, and they were sloshed, you know, but they're not like angry drunks. But it was a lot. the The volume was astonishing to me. Wow. You know, very nice people. You know, just yeah, like that loud bar talking, like yeah. sound bouncing off the walls. You can't hear yourself think. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, you know, I'm there with a couple of eighty year olds also, and there's other people that were know, they drunk too? Were not, no, they were you know normal, normal, drunk. normal drinking. Right. You know, for a weekend at the lake, maybe right. two or three beers. You know, over the course of the evening, right? Um, but what I look over to the couch at one point and I see Dimitri, my oldest son, sitting there drinking a beer. Now he's 17, he's going to college next week. I'm like, I, he has beer when he goes out with his friends. And I'm, uh, you know, I, we've discussed it. You know, I, I can't come down like a hammer because he's not going to listen anyway. Right. And, you know, and I'm like, and then I see Jack, my 15 year old, with a cup mm. and a can of, what's that seltzer water? Uh, that booze in it. It's called White Claw. White Claw. Yeah. He's drinking a White Claw and he's 15 years old. Wow. And my aunt, uh, my aunt, my sister-in-law comes up to me. He's like, oh, I, uh, I told them they could have drinks because um, got to start them young. <laughs> and I was, she saw the look on my face and she spent like the next half an hour profusely apologizing. Oh, at least she apologized. She did. She did. Um, but But it got me thinking like how people who are, drinking that much need validation so badly. Yeah. Like it's this like, thing and, to pass on. Right. And and then, so I, I come to find out that she's passed it on to her own kids who are the same ages wow. as, as my kids. Um, because I got up in the middle of the night uh, to go to the bathroom as one does in the middle ages. Yes. And I look outside and her two kids are out there still drinking at like two o'clock in the morning. One of them's got a shirt off. How old? They're, 17 and 15 Jesus. and they're running around out there. And I don't know. I like, I'm like, not, not well, like, not my, uh, you know, not, she, not my problem. <laughs> you know, I went, yeah. I went back to not, bed. At least they're not where I don't know where they are. That's right. something. Well, that's, say, that's right? the logic, right? right. Uh, you know, at least they're drinking here and you know, whatever. And so I talked to, to Dimitri and Jack afterwards and I said, listen, uh, you know, next time's an adult, offers you drugs or, or, or <laughs> right. alcohol, you know, come to me and talk, and talk to me uh, before you just say yes, you know, and just start drinking it. And, and Jack, to his credit, was like, yeah, I had, the thing was really, tasted really weird. I had half, half a one and I, um, and that was it. I didn't mm. like it. But he goes, um, he said, yeah, she asked me if I wanted a beer and I said, I've never had a beer. And she's like, oh, I'll have a white claw instead. Yeah, it's not a beer. It's, it's, <laughs> and I'm like, but and, and and so the the weekend went on sort of you know they didn't my kids did not drink anymore they didn't because continue I drinking. I made it clear to them that you know that was not kosher for me you know uh, and and I was told that we were the only parents among my seventeen year olds peer group that does not buy their kids alcohol and drink in the house mm-hmm. and I'm like 
I don't give two yeah. fucking shits what you yeah, know like your f- your friends loser parents do. <laughs> I'm not buying you booze to yeah. drink in the backyard. We're That's not the it. same breed of loser. <laughs> um, I, I it's just it really it's it's it was it was so very strange. And my but my brother in law and he's he's a fun guy. He's a funny guy. I love him. Um, he he kept pulling Aaron aside, going, um, "It's not drinking." Um, is everything okay? Is he okay? Did he get? He's like he must have got some bad news from the doctor or something, right? Like, <laughs> like he thought I was like had cancer, I was dying or something. He he could not understand why anyone would not be drinking. Like it just he he couldn't fit it into his mental framework, and it couldn't occur to him that you in fact were dying, and that's why you stopped. <laughs> you know, but I mean he. Yes, but I mean, I was dying a bit more slowly right, than I think he was thinking that I was. Um, how could you turn down God's nectar, you know? Like, what's wrong? Because, you know, I never made a show out of the fact that I wasn't, I was just like, nah, I'm not, not drinking, you yeah. know? And, and, you know, he just couldn't understand it, and yeah. he wasn't getting anything from me, so we figured he'd take Aaron to the side and find out Aaron, what, was really, what was really going on. What is know? going on with this guy? But I tell you, man, I, I got up at... Uh, you know, five thirty, six o'clock in the morning, went running, saw the bears and everything out there. Yeah. And, uh, every, you know, my sister-in-law got up at 1130. Like, I'm like, what 58-year-old person gets up at 1130? The one that gets blasted <laughs> you know? at a family reunion, right? Um, and it was two nights in a row. Like, just as it? heavy the second night. No kidding. And probably the third, because we left after two nights. Was there know? any um, disagreements because of it? Like, at people arguing? Did it no, get, like, no, violent? No, because... because Jovial, I guess. There was, there was joviality. I mean, honestly, it was a really good time. Like, nobody... I mean, after that first business with my kids on the first night, like, everything kind of chilled out. We all went to a water park uh, oh. on the third day, and... Uh, it's just like, I don't think I'm going to go back next year because yeah. it's just, you know, send, send a, a card or something. Yeah. Send, uh, send flowers. I hate, to keep, I hate to keep my kids from their cousins though. But on the other hand, like I, I, the cousins are already like yeah. proceeding down a path that I don't want my kids to go down. Maybe it's best that they stay in touch like other kids on Roblox or mm. video games. Well, and I, want the, I want them to see them on the holidays and stuff, but I just think I need to pay more attention. It just, yeah. that whole thing, I didn't expect it. It came out of left field. Well, maybe now they know how you yeah. feel about it and maybe they won't be as, but yeah. that doesn't stop. Like when the kids go hang out and you're with the, who, right. Right. What they're right. up to is. Who knows. Yeah. Who knows? So anyway, that was that was interesting. But uh, listen, uh, I went as far as Pennsylvania. You went to the other side of the planet, just about. Mm-hmm. How the hell was that? So as many of you know, um, I went to go visit some um, some family in Greece. Um, it was a great time. We um, it's a really long trip. Uh, this how, st- how long was that flight? So it's eight hours there, and eleven or ten and a half back because of um, headwind. The headwinds. Yeah. And uh, so it was with me, my wife, two children, and my mother-in-law, who was already there. Did she fit in the overhead bin, or did you have to keep her under the seat? No comment. <laughs> okay. Um, so it was kind of, it was already very stressful for us to do a Greece trip. Um, the story goes, my father-in-law, um, he passed away um, several years ago, and he was from Greece. And so he's got all this family that's in Greece still, and they don't, they rarely come here. Um, and so some of uh, his brother, his last brother that's still alive, and, uh, and his wife are still there, and they're doing good. And my mother-in-law really wants 
wanted to get our kids to go meet their cousins and meet the Greek family. Sure. No matter how impractical, unaffordable, and completely impossible it may seem, we like had to go to Greece to the point that no matter, you know, we were... Every time, you know, the pandemic, you know, when it came and then we mm. canceled the trip, we, we, you know, I was kind of like relieved, you know, because sure. I, I couldn't fathom doing this trip. Just my life has been in such transition. And um, and now with this new job and everything is moving so quickly, uh, it was extremely, extremely difficult for me to pull this off. And that's just to get the 10 days. The next part of it that was extremely difficult to pull off was an airplane ride. When we got there, we were staying in Athens, which was beautiful, mm-hmm. of course. And um, our cousins, uh, the younger cousins, Penny and Leo, had a really beautiful like townhouse type of thing in Athens. Nice. He's an extremely successful business owner of some global business that I can't figure out what it is type of thing. Mm-hmm. But just got the place is beautiful. So it was really nice of them. Well, that's nice. And they weren't there because they were in their new house in Corfu, which is a holiday island, basically, in mm. Greece. So they had just bought this um, mansion, basically. Um, and they were there where we were going to go meet them later. So let me ask you this. Yes. You're in Athens. Yes. You're in this apartment. Is there a separate room for your mother-in-law? She slept at the foot of the bed. No. No. Um, yeah, so she... <laughs> you had me going yeah, there. She had her own guest room and her own bathroom, and we were all in separate rooms. And my aunt, Rania, was also staying with us just to because the house was really... Uh, it was like a smart house, and everything was Greek. <laughs> and you thought you guys yeah. were not... She was right, though. <laughs> up to the intelligence it was of the so, house. It was a really cool house. Like, the outside windows at a certain... You know, all of these, like... Uh, yeah. Like, a gate closes to have total nice. blackout. You know, it had... It was really cool. Like, that modern European design where... Every inch is used for something mm-hmm. efficient, you know. Cool. Like gray, black, white, stuff like that. Some touches of uh, wood and iron, you know. It was really cool. <clears throat> but it's also super awkward and not like a vacation at all in any way. You know, there was, you know, you're off by seven hours. Uh, and, yeah. um, you know, I always have fun learning Greek. So I spent a lot of time practicing Greek. And the Greeks get a, a big, you know, thrill when they hear me try and speak Greek. And that's always fun. And the food is amazing. And really, it was a great time. You know, we went to all of these great sites and the kids got along. Um, You had a birthday when you were there, didn't you? Yes, I turned 44 years old. Yes, thank you very much. (laughs) Live to fight another year. The 15th anniversary of my 29th birthday. Yes. And so thank you for that. So I got to uh, celebrate my birthday in Greece. And we, you know, went to the Acropolis and uh, the Parthenon. And, um, <laughs> Is that a Greek accent? Yeah, that's an Acropolis. Um, and um, it was just, it was great. It was stressful, but beautiful. I mean, it was this real, like, you know, for every stressful frustration because of, you know, the situation, there was something beautiful and, you know, memorable. Uh, Did your, uh, were your relatives aware before you got there that you were not partaking in alcoholic beverages? So, great question. Thank you. I think the answer is yes, um, but I never had to say anything. Now, the re- you know, my mother-in-law, who I'm sure has told all of them everything because she talks, talks, talks. She talks to them every Sunday and she speaks like really good Greek, um, even though she's you know, Polish, but she learned Greek in order to communicate with her mother-in-law who only spoke Greek. 
Um, it's actually a, a really nice story how they met. My uh, mother-in-law is from Ozone Park, Queens. And um, my father-in-law, my late father-in-law, was a drummer on a cruise ship. Mm. So she used to have a friend, I think, something like this, where, who worked for the cruise line. And he was worked on, he was from Greece, you know, it was one of these cruise ships that had a band. And she would go on to these cruises. Then she met him, and then she would keep going back to the cruises just to see just him. Just to see him. Right? How romantic. Until they, like, fell in love. He went back to Greece. Um, I'm sure I'm not getting it perfectly right, but this is what I remember uh, her telling me. And they wrote love letters back and forth from Greece to Queens. Oh, you know, every so, you know, pretty regularly until they agreed to marry. And he moved to America away from all of his, you know, his yaya, which is the mother. Wow. And um, away from his brother. It's a love story. Um, yeah. Did and, he continue to play the drums? Not really. No. Yeah, no, we would always ask him about that. And um, no, he got down to business. He went to college and he, he was he worked at American Airlines for a long time. He was a manager mm. there. Um, so it's a real love story and, and the family is very close. But it was really beautiful. We went to Corfu. Like I said, we had to fly there. So the drinking. The drinking, the drinking. The, the, were there, so your relatives didn't offer you any... It Oops. was clear they knew not to offer it. Do you okay. know what I mean? Like, it was one of these things, like my cousin Leonidas. His name is Le- Leonidas. Leonidas. <laughs> it sounds like, I don't know, it sounds like a football team. Penelope and Leonidas. Okay. The Greekest freaking couple in history. Those yeah. are like really Greek names. Actually, not as Greek as Helen and Hercules, which is another well, Greek couple I know. Sure. Wait, an actual Greek couple? Local. Oh, yeah. Because that's like a you mythical brought. couple. I know. <laughs> that's why when I met them, I'm like, holy crap. Um, Does he look like Hercules? Yeah. Really? He's like, yes. Like, he looks exactly <laughs> like Hercules. He's gigantic, you know. Right. Um, a big muscled up guy. Um, so the drinking, it didn't affect me. I noticed there wasn't much drinking going on. Mm. And the way I remember Greece last time, 15 years ago, was it was- Everybody was drinking. (laughs) Drinking, smoking, (laughs) drinking more, smoking more. It was just- And um, this time around, I just didn't see it that much. Were a lot of people smoking? Yes. Mostly my mother-in-law. Really? Well, right. But like in Athens, lots of smoking. Here's something that says it all. Every restaurant we went to, whether it was nice- you know, fast food, when you sit, you know, you look at a place setting, mm-hmm. part of each place setting was an ashtray. Personal ashtray. Yeah. At <laughs> nice. every place. Wow. And so it was, you know, pretty much expected that, you know, you should be smoking. What do, what do they, uh, what do they think about marijuana over there? Like cannabis? It's interesting uh, that you asked that because I had a conversation with one of the vape store owners because I ran out of some of my In juice. Greece? Yeah, there's a couple of vape shops. you go looking for a... Uh, um, what a bong! No, the uh, <laughs> Delta Eight, the drink, Uzo, like the one in Huntington. Oh no, I didn't look for kombucha. Fuck! How could I not remember kombucha? Kombucha. I'm, I've been drinking too much kombucha. I'm too fucking old. Um, it's still illegal over there, from what I could understand. And, kombucha? Um, no, <laughs> it might be. Um, you know, pot's illegal, and I didn't see nearly the number of 
you know, pseudo THC like hybrids that they okay. do now. Like just THC-O-H- curious as to if uh, Europe is following us down the primrose path or if they're going their own way. They might be, but mm. I didn't smell it everywhere. I didn't see it, you know. So it, it doesn't. What seem about to what be. about harder drugs? Did you see any evidence of uh, heroin use in the streets, like like you would if you went to Manhattan or Seattle or anything? No, I don't know. I don't, I really didn't. I mean, I did see really bad homelessness, but most of them, I couldn't tell if they were doing drugs. A lot of mm-hmm. them were older, just really looked uh, like there was a lot of mental illness and poverty. Oh, they had all those economic problems in Greece that yeah. I think they're still sort of yeah. wrestling with. But the the drinking thing, you know, we got to Leo and, and Penny's place in Corfu, which was amazing. Um, you know, they were offering my wife, you know, here's a, what would you like to drink? You want wine? And when they came to me, it was like, um, water. They like, yeah, <laughs> they like looked at each other. He's like, do you want what? I mean, uh, we have a Coke and, um, um, and heroin and, no. <laughs> and so they just deliberately like changed what they were about to yeah, say. Yeah, so gotcha. you could tell, and I'm, I was grateful for it. It didn't make me mad. Right. And everything was fine. Like nobody was getting drunk. I didn't care. I was enjoying you know, just spending time with them. They were really wonderful people. And they had kids my kid's age. Uh, they have twins that are about nine. <clears throat> and the kids got along famously. It was amazing. Yeah, it's, that's It was like good. they'd known each other their whole lives. You mm-hmm. know, they had a pool. They had a kumquat tree. They had... Really? A, they had a little vineyard. It's wow. like, a, like the gorgeous, let me tell you, this property. Yeah. Um, and he just bought it to like make it an Airbnb or something. And nice. It's sick. And... um yeah, it was really, it was such a great time. And, you know, I kvetch about Greece because um, I like to complain, but um, we were really <laughs> blessed to have family there. And the the one last thing I will say about Greece is um, we were on an excursion in Corfu, which you get in a boat with the kids and you go around this, um, it's like a bay where there's caves, mm-hmm. you know, it's like an inlet, I guess you'd say. And it's gorgeous. It looks just like Homer's Odyssey or something. You know, you have oh. the water and you have the, <laughs> and you have the, the mountains in the background and the sky is perfect and the, the water is clear and you can see down to the bottom and you can jump in and it's warm. I mean, everything. Wow. Naked ladies on the beach. That's another funny thing. Uh, my kids were like, daddy, naked ladies. <laughs> and uh, so here's the tragedy of the well, trip. Were they like mm-hmm. the, sorry, Go just, I got to stop you at the nude beach. Yes. Uh, were they as attractive as the people who use nude beaches in the United States are? <laughs> Without saying too much, <laughs> they were, um, they were good looking. <laughs> okay. It was a lot of, I have to say most of the people who were showing a lot of skin, you wouldn't be mad that they did it, you know, but there was this large number of people that were women over 60 in bikinis. I've never seen so many immodest um, well, older it's You know what? It's body positivity. <laughs> That's what it is. They, Total they, body positive. Why not? You know, Everybody's got everything out. Everybody could Nobody let it all cares. hang out. And there's a new style, it seems, where everyone's uh, every woman's bathing suit is completely up the ass. Yes. I noticed so, this a couple years ago in Mexico. They're not thongs. It's like they take the regular thing mm-hmm. and jam it. Yeah. So the cheeks are it, just... Boop, Right, it doesn't popping look, out. It doesn't look comfortable. It does not look comfortable. Like it, it was, I, walking around with a, basically a rope up your ass the Pretty entire much. day. But it was everywhere. It was right. the good looking, the not so great fitting into it. The older people, the younger people. It Everybody's was everywhere. doing it. Right. If everyone's doing it, then it's 
fine. So my kids were excited to, uh, well, and, and it was topless too. We were at this one beach. Did you get? Did you get one of those bathing suits? I was topless. Well, okay. I was. I want to know what your bathing suit was. <laughs> I had a speedo. <laughs> were your ass? Were you wearing the assless chaps in the, Greece? <laughs> I was just about to say assless chaps. Um, so let me get to the tragedy. Sorry. Okay. okay. There is a tragedy here, folks. So my seventy-eight-year-old mother-in-law, who also has difficulty walking because she sprained her ankle line dancing. Oh, okay. Um, Good for her, though. Yeah. It's better than spraining yeah. and getting off the couch. No, and I was so happy she was taking the line dancing and then she sprained her ankle. Yeah. Anyway, so she's been limping around. Um, she gets into this boat and we're all in the boat. Me, my kids. It's not a big step. Mm-hmm. She's kind of having trouble, you know, getting into the boat, of course, because even I was having trouble. It's not that easy. And she gets in. She sits down and plops down. There she is. We're sitting there. And all of a sudden, my wife goes, Ma, Ma, what's, what, there's blood. And I go, what, what are you talking about? I look over, I look over, and there's blood. Wait, under your mother-in-law's? Yes. And it was not um, under the leg, the okay. feet. You started to see blood dripping. Oh, dear. And we were like, what the hell is going on? And she's like, oh, I just, just scratched my leg or something. And we're like... <laughs> uh, and it was like pouring. It began to pour. Shit. And um, of course, the captain. Was she nick an artery? I don't know. Femoral artery? Uh, the, the captain, Stamatis, was like, his eyes popped up and he looked at me and looked back at her. And she was like, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. And they didn't know what to do. And the blood was coming. And the kids were like, what the hell? <laughs> and my wife is like, Jesus. Oh, my God. And, you know, and all these thoughts are running through your head. We're in. Greece, but we're not even in like the mainland. We're in like an island. Yeah. What are we going to do? And she doesn't, she's like either in shock or it, maybe it didn't hurt, but it was a major, like, it looked like a giant paper cut in the shape of a V on her calf. I'd wow. say about like four inches on each V. What area. did she catch it on the boat or something? We don't know. We think it had to be something like on the seat where she might have slid in. Crap, man. So she starts to like touch it and like to feel it and you can see the flap. She's getting her whole, uh, thing, whole hand in there. Uh, and we're like, mom, 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 don't touch it, don't touch it. She's like, it's fine, it's fine. You know, just give me a band-aid. It's just a flesh wound. And we're looking at each other. It's just a flesh <laughs> And I'm like, I'm looking at the captain. I go, no, no, no. I was like, call the hospital. Hospital. And it was 20 stitches. Oh, shit. 20. The boat looked like Jaws. There was just... <laughs> and my youngest son was just... My my older son was covering my younger son's eyes so he wouldn't see it. And um, until so my wife were like, we finally got her out of the boat. And I was just like... He goes, oh, there it is, doctor, you know, around... The- Get her to the doctor, get her to the hospital. And my wife's like, went with her. Mm -hmm. And we're sitting there. And I had, I was going to faint. Like, I started to feel faint. I was seeing spots. (laughs) Seriously. Do you have like a blood thing? No. Like, if you see blood, you get. I think it was the um, anxiety and like, it might have been PT. I don't know, but might have been what PTSD I or something. Pita bread. Pita might have been pita bread. <laughs> it's like tzatziki sauce. Just just tzatziki. Had some bad tzatziki. I think it's tzatziki. So oh, the tea is silent. Yeah. Tzatziki. You know what else is silent? What? Fuck you. <laughs> the silent f you. In any case, she got to the hospital. Twenty stitches, and so now 
She's still in Greece till the 23rd without us. And she can't drink. She said she was lamenting that, but she's not a big drinker anyway, but that would have been the one thing she just, she can still smoke. So that's okay. But <laughs> oh, thank goodness. no, um, yeah. Cause all of these uh, antibiotics and just, it was so difficult, you know, it was already difficult kind of managing her. Well, was as she, it was. did it, decrease her mobility in any way yeah or? yeah completely you oh. know it was this really bad slice and uh and so um you know that that's was terrible pretty traumatic and it was a couple of days before we left and well at least it was like right it wasn't at the beginning of the trip no. right so you got some fun stuff but in. it like ruined the day for my wife she really wanted to do this excursion and we're sitting on the boat like and this guy doesn't speak english and we're like he wants to doesn't know if we want to just wait for her to get out of the hospital, right? And um, we're I'm trying to tell him how long were you guys what in the stitch thing for? Like how long did that take? They were Half gone the for yeah like three or four hours. Yeah. We met back at the hotel. Like it was a whole Ugh. serious problem, you know. But we ended up they, they took a bucket of water and washed all the blood out. We're like lifting up our legs so they can scrub the blood. <laughs> Um, it was traumatic, you know, and yeah, the Greeks have seen worse. Once I find this guy was going to faint. I'm telling you, he was the captain. Like, yeah. He, he did not look good. <laughs> and, um, and I told him, it's okay. I'm like, she's going to be okay. I heard from, you know, Christine and any case it was a lot. And then she's fine. She's still in Greece. Thank good. She's still in Greece. She had planned to stay later okay. than us. So she's staying with uncle Tony and, um, uh, at Leo's apartment and, you know, she, but she was upset, you know, because she felt like she's ruined the trip. And, you know, it was this whole thing. And I'm like, Mom, it's okay. Mom, like, it's fine. You ruined the trip when you decided to come in the first place. Right. <laughs> this is just gravy. Uh, you know, and no, uh, when we went tease, to Corfu, almost, and we went to Corfu, <laughs> we stayed at a hotel and she had a room next to us. Yes. Not with us, but it was like, you know, every morning she, you know, we'd get her for breakfast and, you know, we were uh, eating it. it was listen, just, we didn't I've been have, on trips like that. Uh, it's, it's, it's half a vacation. Exactly. You know? And, uh, and then the 10, 10 hour, 10 and a half hours back. But you know what it would have been worse if you were, uh, still addicted to opiates and you, <laughs> and you were trying to find them. And if you were drinking and if you were trying to find crack in Greece, because oh I'm sure God. there's crack in Greece somewhere, somewhere, or if you were drinking all the time. Yeah. I mean, think of how much better the vacation is or was now than it would have been five years ago. A hundred percent. And uh, I'm so grateful for that, that I didn't, I, I, it's not like I had something to run out of that I couldn't get that would make me go into withdrawals. Right. But at the you same could, time, I kind of wished like... The one time I wished I wasn't sober. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I always like to be sober, but when I got on that plane and I'm looking at 10 and a half hours yeah. and the beers are going around and right. you hear people say, I'm just going to take my Xanax and drink a champagne. Right, I know. I'm like, fuck, man. Yeah. Like that's, this is one case where I think that would be okay. Right. You know? But it wasn't and it, I didn't. Uh, and I pushed you know through it's that. It's only 10 hours right. out of your life. You got through it. Only ten yeah. hours. Listen, sitting. I've been there, man. I've with been my there. Kids. Yep. It's it sucks, but it would suck more if you got off the plane and you were half in the bag from yeah. You know the ambient walrus or whatever. Yeah. You know. So in any case, we got home safe. I went back to work the next day. I'm happy to be back, and um, it was. You know, my final statement is. Really great experience. I'm glad we did it. I'm glad my kids got to meet their cousins. I'm glad to spend time with, you know, our, our elder Greek relatives. And the food is amazing. The views are amazing. The fish. 
I mean, the it, fish, the fish. <laughs> it, it was great. You know, I highly recommend Greece. Just don't go with your mother-in-law and you will be fine. Sorry about the long story. That's okay. That was it was, it. I found it interesting. It, we, you didn't show me slides, which is nice. You didn't look at my Facebook pictures? Of course. Yeah. That was just the right amount of vacation pictures yep. from somebody else's vacation, exactly. right? I mean, you, you can't, over, you can't yeah. overdo that. Sometimes on Instagram, people have a no, tendency I, to go overboard. I post yeah. the highlights, yes. you know. Marketing. No picture of your mother-in-law's leg. I would have liked to have seen that. I was thinking about that. Can you that. put up put a picture in the Discord? I did not take a picture <laughs> no. of it. And I was thinking, like, a lot of people, when I started to complain a little bit, they're like, oh, but it looked great. And I'm like, yeah, you think I took pictures of all, all the times I wanted to murder somebody, you know, because it was so frustrated? Um, so, no. Oh. It was great. I'm so happy to be back. We're happy to have you back. Um, man, I've got more to talk about, but I'm thinking we're about an hour now at an hour we've got a few minutes before the break so um we do yes okay do you want to um do you have anything else before i um i uh update a couple other things well ben's birthday was this past weekend yes so we um we went into the city his birthday yeah he turned 12 on the 13th thank you um wait august 13th yeah the day before my birthday yes look at that yeah Leo party. Yeah. Also, <laughs> Scuba Danny. And Scuba you, Danny. And you have the same birthday. I forgot about that. Yeah. Happy birthday, Scuba Danny. I haven't yeah. heard from him in a while. He's out there yeah. scuba I'm sure, yeah. yeah. He always has fun, that <laughs> guy. Uh, so we went into the city. We went to um, a couple of museums. We went down to Chinatown because he likes China. We, I, we bought weapons and oh. swords and stuff down Lovely. there. And then we went for Korean barbecue, which... Uh, I love Korean barbecue. Korean barbecue is great. I had only done it in the past uh, with copious amounts of rice wine and rice liquor. Uh, this time I had juice and <laughs> soda, and it was great. We had a great time. Uh, the city is a little crazy, but uh, it's fine. It's all good. Yeah. We rode the subway a lot, which was weird. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, we, did, we took the metro to the Acropolis in Greece. It was very clean and mm, that's like not, not the New York. New York. Yeah, we always say that. Um, we had sort of a, um, a friend of ours from my wife's high school who I got to know as part of like our partying group. When I first met my wife, mm. her friends from high school, I just started hanging out with them. And it was a massively... Like it was just party, party. all the time. Like, Lots of coke, right? Oh yeah, coke, mm. everything, everything, and it was like a dream come true. Sure, I'm like these people are amazing. You know, <laughs> let's hang out with them every weekend. And every we night, did and we did. <laughs> um, but it was a really bad scene. And um, let's say there was twenty of those people who would get together. I'd say ten of them are in active in recovery. Five are, are now dead. Wow. Um, it could be six if I'm forgetting someone. And then three are, we don't know where they are. Mm. And there's some crazy story before they vanish type of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, like the main drug dealer that we used to go to. Like, he was just another kid in their school. Right. And he's, no one has heard from them. And when one of the other kids in the group actually died of a motorcycle accident, which who knows what yeah. was involved. I think he was clean at that point, but... Like they were best friends and nobody could find this other kid. And we don't know where he is. And he probably so, rolled on his dealer. He's in witness protection yeah, or something. Probably. But, um, so this was uh, one of the guys from that group. We recently learned that had he OD'd and died. And, um, Fuck. he was a sweet guy. 
Um, he uh, was a real artist, and um, but he was one of these poor unfortunates that just... <laughs> there are such poor there unfortunates. There are, and he just couldn't get it, and I think it was something, like, he just never seemed to grow up. Failure to launch. It, big time, and yeah. it's sad, because the older you get when you're like that, the harder it is, because you're comparing yourself... Now he probably looks at his old running buddies like their lives are together. Right. And then you look at your other ones and they're dead. And then it's this, what about me? Right. And, you know, maybe you don't have your career in line. Maybe you're not feeling great about yourself. And apparently he had just gone back to rehab, Mm. which is great. I mean, I think it's a step in some direction. And what happened from what I understand is that the rehab told his mother that it w- he shouldn't go back home. He yeah. should, you know, don't go to the same place, they say. Like, But she put him up in a hotel. Mm. And what, if, what is a drug addict yeah. like me going to, like me, right. what would I do in a hotel the night after I get out of rehab? Yeah. Of course, you're going to use, unless right. you're like Jesus or something. Like, give me a break. And so on the advice of this schmucky rehab, thought they were saying the right thing, you know, the guy, he relapses and dies. Mm. And now, of course, the, the, the mother probably, she thought she was doing the right thing for the first time in history with right. him. They probably told her, you're enabling him. And maybe she was in parts, if you believe in that. But, you know, so in the name of not enabling her son anymore, she finally says, you're not going to come home after that. You stay here, stay in this hotel. And that's what happens. I mean, obviously you can't lay that at the feet of the mother. Right? That, I mean, she's I mean, feeling that though. You yeah. Know, whether she's feeling it, but I, I, just, I don't think any of that is her fault. No, it's not. You know? But she's going to think about yeah. that for the rest of her life. But I mean, you know, the less, what lesson do you take from that? You know, quit, quit using early or else someday you'll wake up and you're 50 years old and you have nothing. And, uh, you know, if you're going to use when you get out of rehab, maybe half, half the dose <laughs> yeah. or you're going to get a hot shot and you're, you're going. Yeah. Fentanyl is all everywhere. Yeah. We discussed, my wife and I were talking about it a little bit too, cause we've watched many of those people go. And so we always kind of like, Oh, what, what was he up to and what could have been done? And, um, <clears throat> I think that the discussion we got into, which was a good one was about how, you know, the rehab, needs to get off of this uh, enabling bullshit mm-hmm. and understand that a guy like that and a guy like me, when I was in that spot, I required love and support. Of course. And um, <clears throat> so codependency yeah. bullshit. But it's it, a fine line of letting somebody continue or helping them use, giving them money to buy drugs or something like that. Well, no one's suggesting that you give them right. money and send them out to buy drugs. So, you know, in the name of not enabling anymore, and they do this on intervention, you know, I think you put people in a dangerous spot. You, get out of, you take a 45-year-old guy who has nothing, you get him out of rehab, you put him by himself in a hotel room in an unfamiliar environment, of course he's going to fucking... 100%. Right. If I, I mean, did that today, I would probably relapse. I mean, if you went, if you go home to your mother and you're sitting in your house, maybe you think twice about it. Maybe you have a chance. Yeah. You know, worst case, maybe. Well, worst case is you die. But you know, so let's say you go back to rehab or something. I don't know. At least your mother would be there to call the. Hospital. How, how long had he been in rehab? Probably a 28 day program. See, that does nothing for anybody. No, it's not enough. What did, what did uh, what's her name say? Uh, you, it takes 90 days to rewire your brain for a new. 
you yeah. have it. So, I mean, the days. minimum stay should be 90 days. Yeah. So, um, I mean, you know, why, why do we make decisions of how long someone can stay in rehab based on what their insurance will cover? Yeah. So rest in peace, Carlo. And, um, it was really, uh, it was great to get to know you. I yeah. hope you're, hope you're in a better place, buddy. And, uh, with that, I think with that depressing note, okay, let's take a break and we'll be right back after these words. No, you got to do it. You got to do it in in E. Gotta, yeah, none of that got picked up by the dynamic mics, probably. We have to um, start off the new season with kind of a bang, man. Yeah, they should get a, a guitar pick. Yeah. We should, uh, we should do, a, <laughs> do an hour of performing. Yeah. We got to get some, uh, some highfalutin guests. Highfalutin. For the new season. Yeah, I think we've got some lined up. We do, we do have a couple. We got Je- we got Jesse the Iron Chef has agreed to come on the show. Yeah, that's going to okay. be great. He's famous. An actual Iron Chef. Yeah. with a, Who had several new fancy Manhattan restaurants. And he's got a book to go with it, so he we can does. actually read the book. I have been reading it. the book. I think I can share that with you on the... No, it's not Audible. I got it on Kindle. Mm. I don't think it is Audible. <clears throat> so I have to actually read it. Yeah, but it's it's... It's a good book, but it's it's not like as long as like Joseph Nouse's. No. So it's fine. Anyway, we're back. And we're back. So this is crazy, man. Crazy. This is so crazy because you uh, told me about this podcast that we're going to be talking about. Something wrong. Pardon? It's called <laughs> Something Was Wrong. Oh, I thought you said something. <laughs> something wrong. <laughs> something. It, that's the... Uh, okay. punchline of a joke I should be telling, but, um, yes, it's called something was wrong. It's on Wondery, which is, um, a service on, I Apple. love Wondery shows. It's great. They're the best shows. Um, it's really good. I, I just discovered it. And, um, yeah. What are some other Wondery shows that I've heard? Listen to, they have a lot of true crime. They have Dr. A lot of, Death is on Yeah. There. Dr. Death. That was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, I have a lot of respect for the Wondery folks and their production values are really high and, um, so this show was kind of interesting though. I mean, this is a little outside of our, our bailiwick cause we, we typically don't talk about a lot about other podcasts, um, mostly for selfish ratings reasons, but, uh, this one really caught my attention. Yeah. It's the story that they tell on it. Um, it's really, it brings up so many, um, pertinent issues that are like it's addiction, but it's also addiction adjacent stuff. You know, the domestic violence, criminal justice, 
and the underlying, you know, uh, addiction issues. That, well, they, they tell a different you know. story every week, right? And not all the stories are about addiction, right? right. Some of, they're just like crazy tales that people find themselves in extraordinary circumstances, yeah, right? Yeah, it's usually like they meet someone who they think is one way and something was wrong. Like they'll right. notice some red flags and then they tell the story kind of like about the like the company and what I just went through with the person. Mm. It's like that. Like things just go sideways and it's usually because the person is you know, on drugs or psychotic or just kind of evil running a con on someone. Mm. And so these are like the stories from the person who like was in it and it had happened to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, this week we have a tale of addiction and um, domestic violence and uh, the court system and all kinds of crazy shit. But yeah. I like the way that the story develops, right? It starts with a girl meets boy, basically, right? Yeah. Um, you know, they met on an online dating app, right? And uh, went on a few dates and everything seemed like it was it was great. Uh, and then the, the, the first sign of trouble occurred when... The woman who is the narrator of the story, telling the story. It says Amelia. Amelia. Her her grandmother dies. And then after two days, the guy that she's dating breaks up with her because he's like, I can't stand because you're so sad. Yeah. Right? And it should have been like a red flag number one. Yeah. But um, then a few months later, she puts her dating profile back up on the dating site where she met him. Right. And he... Freaks out and says, did I mean so little to you that you could just put your... And she's like, but we broke up like six months ago. And, you know... Yeah, it was weird. Like You broke broke up up. with me, (laughs) you know? But for whatever reason, she decides to give this guy another shot, right? Right. So she gets back into this relationship. Part of it's like her insecure... You could tell she's very insecure with herself and like, you know, self-esteem and stuff like that. And so, once she's finally like, I'm just going to meet another guy, he comes back and just love bombs. Yes. They talk about that with um, psychopathy and, and people and that's like, they love bomb you. Mm-hmm. And then it's like... You What's know, a love bomb? Love bomb is like, <clears throat> like buying you lots of things, right, telling right. them, like just going overboard with praise and gifts. Yeah. And it's something that people report, like even in, with a psychopath, like um, boss or a manager mm-hmm. who, when you first get there, they're like, you're doing great and you've saved the day and you know, you've got such a future here. And then it starts it to turn, <laughs> with, you know, and it's the same kind of thing. And so she, he sort of does that. And he's like, Oh, I made this horrible mistake and I, I love you. And or lives together. And this is what everyone wants to hear. Sure. Someone wants you. Yeah. Someone needs you. And so that's what he gave her. So he reels her back in. They And then after a very short period of time, after they resume dating, uh, they he asks her to marry him, right? Yeah. So, um, so then do they move in together before they get married, I think? So, yeah, they like bought a house together. No, wait. First they they moved in, but then but then it got weird as they were planning the wedding, right? So a lot of the um red flags happen during the wedding planning when yeah. she starts to notice his behavior. Um which you know, a lot of you who have been married before may remember what goes on at these things. It's very stressful. There's a lot of planning and he just completely checked out, you know. <clears throat> he was exhibiting, you know, basic depression um, type stuff for what, well, that's what she thought like, it was. At the it time. looked like she would say things like, 
you know, he would always be in his basement uh, and never kind of doing much, and she couldn't get him to be interested and, and to help out. Well, she said, she she said, listen, I'm going to plan the whole wedding. Right. All you have to do is plan the honeymoon. Right. right? That was his one job. His How one many times job. have you heard this from your wife? I gave you one job. <laughs> one. And you couldn't even do that. <laughs> So he couldn't even do that. He was, uh, it became evident like three days before the wedding that he hadn't actually planned anything. Right. Any part of the trip, nothing. hadn't bought a ticket, hadn't booked a hotel, nothing. Right. He seemed out of it from what she said. Like he was really kind of like, oh, I don't know what to do, I guess, you know? Oh, yeah. Like that. So her sister come, or was it his sister came down? I think it was his. And his sister sat there with the computer and ended up booking everything. She helped know, him. Right. So. She came to help so he could do something. Something. So they had the wedding. Did anything happen at the wedding? I'm trying to remember. She said the wedding was beautiful. Right. But where, you know, because the honeymoon was not planned Mm -hmm. at all, the real, I think, issues started to, like, she started to really see some bizarre behavior on the honeymoon. And she immediately began making excuses for it, which I've done before when things are going wrong. You're like, oh, it's fine. It's just this, that, or the other. Right. You know, where he, he just wants to... He didn't want to do anything. He anything. To, yeah. He wanted to go see a movie. He wanted to sit in the dark and watch movies. Basically. Yeah. And so she's just like kind of beside herself. Like, what is wrong with this guy? Yeah. And she's thinking, oh, maybe he's just depressed. And she's making more excuses. And then he gets like kind of, she's noticing he gets sick. Yeah, like stomach pains, he claims. and yeah, Toward the like end. That, yeah. Yep. And they end up coming back from the honeymoon like six like days six early. six days early. Because yeah. clearly, and I identified this immediately because this has happened to me on a trip, on trips. Mm-hmm. This is one of the reasons I started to like, oh my God, this happened to me. That was me. Yeah. Because early on when my wife didn't know that I was struggling with um, opiate addiction, we would go away for a couple of days and I would run out of something mm. and I would begin to get, you know, go into withdrawal. And when nobody knows it and you've got nothing to help you there, it's a really awful spot to be in. And clearly that's what was so, going on. So spoiler here, the he wasn't actually having stomach pains or depression. Maybe he was a little depressed, but uh, well, it was the second trip, right? They go on another trip. Yep. And he has the same, it was Christmas. It was Christmas and they were going to both their family's house, but he wasn't participating in anything involving Christmas. He was, he started a new job. He got fired from his first job. Yeah. That's the other thing. He was like, his career was clearly like their life in between those two trips was definitely like something was wrong. (laughs) He gets hired at an internet startup, claims he has to work all the time, but isolates himself away from the families over Christmas. And then collapses on the floor in the house, claims he has horrible pain, needs to go to the emergency room. They take him to the emergency room. Oh, yeah. And he's starting to uh, ask. He said he's in horrible pain. And the doctor in the emergency room... He saw him a mile away. Yeah. Yeah. And he went and he looked up his... I guess there's some sort of... um, There's a script record. Script record. There's a uh, national database of prescriptions. So they find out that he's been chasing painkillers up and down the California and Oregon coast for several years. He brings his stack of papers and it's like, this is all of your recent attempts to, like, clearly you're seeking. And he goes, now, are you ready to be honest with me or are you going to keep this up and let me help you? Mm -hmm. And, uh, of course, he does what 
many of us do in that scenario, which is straight up deny, even in the right. face of obvious, like there's no way around this. I don't know what you're talking yes. about. I don't even know who this is or what that is. And how dare you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. As soon as you start getting the, how dare you cast these aspersions at me? What would ever make you think, what, this stack of papers you got from your federal <laughs> database? You think that's real? <laughs> and uh, But it's clear. And I think he at some point admits it. The right? doctor leaves and he tries to put up the front a little while longer. Right? They're sitting and together. then eventually he just drops it and he's like, I gotta I gotta but listen. I have this, this thing. I have a problem. I got a problem. And she was like she was up see, I don't know. I think in the beginning I, I didn't have a lot of sympathy for her because she seemed like she was very like um I don't know. I don't know. I just got a weird vibe off her, right? Like yeah. she wasn't I mean, maybe that's because I put myself in the shoes of this guy. And this was yes. before I knew what we're going to well, tell you. Yeah, because what ends up happening. <laughs> right. Will astound you. I was like, man, she's like all like, uh, you know, my Christmas was ruined, blah, yeah. blah, blah. You know, and, and I'm like, well, this poor guy's dying. Over guy, here, you, he's, know? you know, he's suffering from substance use disorder. And here you are, you know, <laughs> being so callous. But I guess, but I guess, <clears throat> you know, I need to think about that in a different way, maybe. And I, and I also was like kind of questioning my own reaction yeah, to me that? too, because I'm like, what kind of guy am I? Yeah, am like, I like siding with this lunatic? You right, know? I know. Is I that th- me? Am I the lunatic? Yeah, I was doing the same thing. But I think it's I think it's because we've we've been on both sides of the fence, yeah. right? Like yeah. that we can see the. I saw you know, myself in that guy. Yeah. I'm like, I was, you know, I I get it. I know where he was at. Yep. You know. So he uh, says he's going to get straight. He goes through. He detoxes. He goes to a uh, goes to an inpatient. Yes. First. And um, gets a sponsor, starts working the program, yep. whatever. He gets or fully into claims it. Claims he is at any it, rate. It appears to, yeah. yeah. But as it turns out, um, yeah, he, he was still he was still getting high. Yeah, and it, and it it sounds to me because like she doesn't necessarily know when he goes from which drug to the next, but you can sort of you know. Uh, deduct from the things he's doing. Like, well, at least I thought I could, you know, when he's kind of nodding out or right. looking tired, or if he's going through withdrawal, like, you know what he's doing. And, or when um, he admitted st- stealing a bottle of Valium from her dad and well, taking the whole thing. Yeah. So there was a few instances <laughs> where he would get these, all of a sudden he would obviously be in withdrawal, but she would be like, he would just get stomach pains and fall over. And it was like a few days in a row. Mm-hmm. And she kept taking to these hospitals and then, you know, there was another one of these incidents where um, <clears throat> where they were at the hospital or going to the hospital, and she, her stepfather, you know, calls her and says, "You know, my bottle of Valium is missing." Yeah, and um, he w- then he fin- that's when he finally admitted it. Right. I think, like, right. yeah, the- I have a problem. Like, yeah. No shit. So they carry on like this for a little while. Um, they end up buying a house together. Yeah, which maybe not <laughs> such a great idea. And then they end up having a baby. Right. Also, not such a great idea. Yeah, I, um, you don't think that would fix the marriage, having a baby? You know, I'm not going to be too too harsh on them for that because they wouldn't be the first people who you no. know have traveled down that road. It's thinking, a very common thing. You know, I, I know people who have bought houses like when their marriage is on death's door because they figure like the project will get them both on yeah. the same page. People do that with marriage too. They've got a, a tumultuous dating relationship, but they're like, you know what? Let's, let's get, get married. married. Yeah, it'll fix uh, it. Right, and that doesn't work. Let's have a kid. That'll fix it. It doesn't. So this guy was 
totally checked out and, and they get married. The baby's on the way. Um, he relapses when she's seven months pregnant. Yes. Right. But then, and you think, okay, I know how this story's going to end, right? You think like yeah. he's either going to get sober and they're going to live happily ever after, or more likely because this is on a podcast called something was wrong. <laughs> something was going to go really wrong. Something had to go sideways. Um, so, uh, yeah, so that that's the end of the first episode. It was in two episodes, right? right. Second episode, um, it becomes evident rather quickly that... Um, he is not getting better. He's not getting better, and his behavior is getting very, very strange and... Um, Erratic. Yeah. And he's clearly does... Because she actually does a really good thing, I think. And she starts attending early on. She goes to support meetings. Yeah, she goes Alan to Al-Anon. Yeah. So she's like, you know what? She's pretty much doing what you should do in those situations. You get your own therapy. You yeah. work on yourself. You try and figure out, you know, how you know, you're know you dealing with it and what you can do better and how you can help or mm. or detach with love, as they say. Right. <clears throat> but his behavior just get, gets so erratic. Like, yep. he starts, like, disappearing. He'll go out at 10 o'clock at night and then not come back until the next day. Uh, he, he called her from, from target once. And he was like, he was, he's like, I'm buying all these lightsabers because yeah. they're going to be like worth so much money someday. That's and, when the meth. Yeah. Okay. As soon as she said that, right. I was like, meth. Yep. I, that's what I figured. Nobody too. spends $2,000 on lightsabers at target. If you're <laughs> not on meth. Right. And then she, you know, and then this goes on for a while and, um, she's going through the ringer. She's yeah. going through it. She's trying to work with like him. he's she's blowing off like the kid's birthday party, everything. you know, and it's a very, very bad situation. He buy goes out and buys an expensive sports car. Yeah, That was weird. And then it gets, his other s- car gets vanishes. It, yeah. It just disappears and he doesn't report it stolen probably cause he traded it for meth. Yeah. You know, um, and then he reports it to this sheriff who happens to be investigating a burglary in their neighborhood at one in the morning. And he pulls the sheriff onto the front porch and is like, my car was stolen two months ago. Yeah. And so this <laughs> cop was like, okay, uh, thanks for telling me. And he could tell this cop who comes in later it's yeah. foreshadowing, but he, he's like, oh yeah, thanks for the report or whatever. But noticing how bizarre this is for a number of reasons. Yeah. So he just keeps going downhill and their relationship start really starts deteriorating mostly because he's just never there. He disappears. He sleeps all day. He's out all night. And his job goes again. You yeah. know, he gets job bought goes. out. Then they start fighting and then he's like, he takes a chainsaw and he cuts one of the walls in half in the house in the middle of the night when he, cause he was like, I'm going to start fixing up the house. And at, okay. At this <laughs> point in their marriage, they now have, does she have the second I think child? They have yet? the second child. Yeah. So the marriage clearly has like turned the corner after you know. There's a point in in addiction in uh, relationships where they're you're trying to fix it, or both parties where things are difficult and you're working on it. And there's you know you fall down, you get back up, you keep working, and this is clearly they pass the point where she believes this will ever get better. And so she resolves to get her ducks in a row mm-hmm. and file for divorce. Right. So she's finally like, this is not happening. I got to get out of this. And, um, and I think a lot of people out there will, <clears throat> you know, commiserate with her because if you've ever been through a divorce and I've known many people that had, you know, a lot of this is, I recognize these types of things like, mm-hmm. 
you know, have to get your finances, you, you know, in order, you have to have a lawyer and everything has to be buttoned up. And she had to do it, you know, without him knowing, which maybe wasn't the best idea. Like you do a surprise divorce, like, oh, and you're getting served. Right. So finally she gets, has him served with papers. I don't remember if she told him she was getting a divorce or no, served him with papers No, the process first. server served him right outside of the house. <clears throat> Right, so that and the was, process server said sent her a text that said, "Watch your back." Watch your back. Yeah. Now he became he started getting really violent. You mentioned the the chainsaw, yeah, and I think that started to happen right around the time where she's like, "This is over," and but they had to stay together because the way the way it seems to be is both people need to stay together before and like work on it. You know, if one person leaves, there's an issue with custody and abandonment. Yeah, plus and, he he wouldn't go anywhere because he didn't uh I mean, he was basically a sociopath and a psychopath perhaps. Yeah. Um and whether that was as a result of the meth that he was quite clearly uh addicted to or whether this was some latent psychological stuff that was going on with him yeah, um, or a pre-existing and the meth just made it worse. I think that was what the last, I think, I, I think based so on his too, behavior be, later. Right. Because he was doing all kinds of like crazy shit. He would show up and threaten to take the kid out of day, the kids out of daycare and drive him around and really was using the kids as like, oh, yeah. um, against her, uh, to try and get her to, I don't know what, like... It was the scariest, like, just to think about that. And it made me think about daycare. And what are they supposed to do? Like, if there's two parents, you know, they're in a spot where, like, you know, what do you do? If you can't legally, like, deny the father to take the child, you know, you have to have a court, you know, a um, a stay-away order or refrain from Well, yeah, but the thing with... um with cases like this, and I have some experience with this, not like from me being a the psychopath. time you went on a, a meth <laughs> range. But um, the courts are very reluctant to terminate a parent's rights, yeah. visitation, any of that stuff. So mm-hmm. you have to really do something completely insane before the court will step in and say, no, you are barred from being near this person or seeing your kids or anything. And, right. and up until that point, you have as much right as your spouse to right. go and pick up your kids from daycare, even if you're completely insane, whacked out meth head. And, right. you know, he was becoming quasi physically abusive to her, not to the kids, but right. it was just like enough that it wasn't over the line. Right. You know, so she called the cops and she'd call them, she called them five, six, seven, ten times. And they would show up and they told her every time that unless this guy pops you or pushes you or there's some kind of evidence, we can't do anything yeah, about they it. Yeah, they said. Now, I don't know if, I don't think that's true, number one. They said being crazy isn't illegal. Right. He's, they, they right. Because um, she brought uh, one of the cops into the house and looked in the garage was that it, or was that a separate incident? Because the cop said, yeah, no, this is crazy, but being crazy is not illegal, so right. I, we can't do anything. It was before they saw the yeah. garage. That's when they go, this yeah. is meth. Right. Mm-hmm. And so he's being really abusive verbally, psychologically. Mm-hmm. He's really threatening her physically. She fears for her life. 
And she keeps saying, well, he never does it around the kids, so at least they don't know. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, do you really think your kids don't sense what the hell is going on? Yeah. Like, the kids know. They maybe don't know the well, details. Because he's, but he's telling all the kids that it's mommy that's trying to keep me away from keep, you. And like he's using all this it. psychological shit. The kids aren't dumb. They know something's wrong with daddy and the mommy. You know, like kids can sense, I think, that stuff. I don't know. It seemed like the older kid like is... Was taking daddy's side, you know? Yeah, later on, he definitely poisons the child. Um, right before um, it gets a lot worse. But he steps over the line and uh, makes physical contact with her, leaves a mark or something, and he finally gets arrested. Yeah. And she gets a restraining order, right? And um, she gets the order. She can't have it. She didn't have it served on him, right? right? It, it has to be served to to work, right? right. You can't just. Well, I, mean, I don't understand and that. The, well, the courts. Well, because you legally you have to be served in a legal manner, so it's proven that you actually got the documents and you know. So before they're going to arrest you for violating it, they want to make sure that you got it. Have it. Got it. Um, but the courthouse, they tell her um, she's just. There's a there's a little check mark on the form that she's filling out to get an ex parte order of protection, which means that she goes in front of the judge and gets the order without him being present. And the box, it says, are you the victim of domestic violence? And she checks, she doesn't check it. She writes no. And then the clerk says, are you sure? And she's like, no. And then she the clerk reads everything and says, honey, you are a victim yeah, of domestic this violence. Is domestic violence. And, yeah. and the denial um, is also what she, she talks about how she never thought of herself. Even after hearing about it, we go, holy crap, this is on every level abuse in yes. every way. She still was making these leaps in like, like, no, it's not that bad, or mm-hmm. it's not this, it's not domestic violence, but finally she accepts it. It give you, gives you some kind of idea. Like, people are always saying, like, you know, to women, like, why didn't you just leave? Right. Why didn't you just walk out? I wouldn't and take that, or I would never accept that, people will say, yeah. but you, until you're in but it. But when you're dealing with, like, a, a, a psychopath or sociopath or a very manipulative narcissist, you know... Who's been working her since the beginning. Exactly. Right? It's it's a slow process, and yep. all of a sudden, it's like putting a frog in a pot and then turning the water on. Like, you don't notice that you're being boiled alive until right. all of a sudden you're dead, you know? Yeah. So... um so he shows up at the house that night, and she had the sheriffs there. Yeah, there was another altercation. Right. He was like cyber stalking her and all of this stuff. Right. And well, the sheriffs were like, we'll serve him right now. And they serve him with the order, yep. and he disappears, but they decide to wait. And one of the cops was one of the originals that saw him claim his car was stolen. That's selling. right. So that's the reason he, he like didn't like the guy to begin with. And so they were saying most of the time cops won't serve for some reason. Yeah. It means they have to go to court. Right. So, but this time they're like, don't worry, I'll serve him. And there was two sheriffs mm-hmm. and they got him out of the house. Right. They serve him and they're like, we're going to stick around because he's going to come back. Yeah. And sure enough, like a half hour later, he shows up, bullshit excuse about he <laughs> I, couldn't find his phone. I can't find my phone. Meanwhile, she's showing these two sheriff's deputies around the house, yep. and they take one look at the garage, and yep. they're like, oh, this is mess. Just like, <laughs> without he, thinking. Because he had all these little mess. projects in there, and like, you know, sculptures, and little yep. things going on. And um, It's like my college dorm room. <laughs> <laughs> 
Did you have a meth problem? I didn't. Well, I uh, mean, Adderall and. Oh, right. Adderall is meth, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it had a lot um, of similar. Well, things. so he comes back, but then he leaves. And uh, yeah, so she carries on with the divorce. And then there's that one incident where he shows up at the daycare, takes the kid. Yeah. And then what happens? Does he get arrested then? So it, it, it begins to escalate like a lot. Like once he's under, once he realizes that it's over, you yeah. know, she knows and she's go- trying to end it and his run is going to come to an end, but he's like, no fucking way. You know, he's hanging mm-hmm. on for dear life. And, um, and where, wait, where were they at? They, they went to, um, they went to court and, uh, oh yes. Yeah, so he had been separated from the home. He was living elsewhere, but he could still, because of the daycare and mm-hmm. because there wasn't a restraining order, he went to get the kids. And I think he hadn't seen them in like 10 days or something. Right. The older one. And he, you know, like picture how horrifying this is. You know, you're trying to, you know, keep your children safe from the, their lunatic, drug addicted, violent father who's a psychopath. And he can just walk into the daycare and he like takes the kid out. Right. And I, you know... And this is like the beginning of the end, basically. Right, because he takes the kid all day and sending her text messages like, if you don't send me $5,000, you're never going to see your kid again. He show, she shows that to the sheriff. Yeah. They issue another order of protection, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And they, I don't know if they, I don't remember if they pick him up or whatever, but um, he's out of the house then at right. that point for, for good. Um, he gets out on bail, he goes into jail. He gets released. No, that on bail. wasn't until. And then he does the thing. He does the thing. He goes. He goes. So the kids are in daycare. She's at work. She's trying to put her life back together. Right. The divorce is coming up, and then she gets a phone call at work from her friend, who's like, "Do you know where your the yeah. kids are? Do you know where your kids are?" And she's like, "What are you talking about? <laughs> you know?" And that your just heart drops, right? You know, because you think it's gonna, but but the kids end up. They're in daycare. And so once her friend finds out that, she goes, well, your husband is barricaded in your house and set it on fire. Yeah. yeah. So her friend from work- And there's a SWAT team waiting in, SWAT the, in your team. driveway. Somebody called her work to tell them that there's a thousand cops in their neighborhood. Her house is on fire and they're, you know, her husband is barricaded in the house. So she just races over there. She's like, holy shit- yeah. You know, because who could have seen this turn of events? Keep in mind, she did not really, I don't think she knew it was what meth was all about, or I don't think she was fully aware that he was in meth psychosis. No, because as part of like the visitation stuff, because there, the police had been involved, this guy had to sit through something called a 730 examination. Right. And, and at, in the 730, they determined that he was a narcissist and... It wasn't antisocial personality disorder. It was the sociopath one, yeah. which whatever that word for that is. But he was diagnosed, for lack of a better word, with those two two conditions. Right. So she she had an idea of what she was dealing with, but she certainly didn't expect that he was going to, you know, try to burn the house no, down. It, and you know, she shows up and she runs over. There's cops surrounding the house. The house is on fire, and she describes it as it's like a Charles Dickens neighborhood. It looks like a movie set. Yeah. And then with all of these cops descending on it, the house is in flames. 
and she runs up. The cop stops her and goes, you can't go. She goes, that's my house. And I always think of myself in those scenarios. Yeah. Like, it, what if you're the person, you know, that whose house it is? Like, what it must be like to run up to it? Yeah. Like, that's me. You and, never think of yourself as the one inside burning the house down? No, I don't. I definitely <laughs> don't. Even though I'm probably more likely to be that one. And so they immediately bring her to, the, you got to talk to the hostage negotiator, and they ask her all these questions. And basically, they figure he's doing, a, you know, like a suicide. Yeah. He's just going to die. He's starting to calculate how many years he's going to do for the um, the rape. Because he does rape her um, when he uh, imprisons her. What? Um, doesn't he Doesn't he have like a... Am I thinking of a different episode? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I missed that part. No, I don't think... Uh... Okay. I don't. I don't think that happened. I'm going to cut that, and we're back. And, he, um, <laughs> well, we could leave that in. It's not. A, but the um, the thing that we forgot is like right before he went in to burn the house down, like he she had um, had a, a friend of hers who was a contractor come in and fix the whole house up after he chainsawed the walls and started taking all the pipes out. Right. So the house was brand spanking new. She was getting it ready to sell it, and that's when he came in. Yep. Because she was upset, to, yeah. she was fixing right. it. So after six and a half hours of this nonsense, um, he surrenders. Turns out the cops are like, he wasn't really trying to kill himself because his wounds are superficial. Uh, she goes into the house and like spray painted all of the walls that uh, that it was her fault and that this is all her doing yeah, and she's a whore and all this other stuff. Crazy shit. Yeah. And um, so... She is like, fuck, you know, she, <laughs> she's like, fuck, she takes the kids, leaves the house, goes to, first goes to stay with his family. Yeah. And then her brother comes over and is like, what the fuck is going on? His family is all sitting around downstairs eating pizza. Eating like pizza. nothing just happened. He's like, we got to get the fuck out and of she's here. She's like, you something. are not staying in this house. So she takes him out of there, which is interesting because at several points over the course of the story, it was made pretty clear that the family was sort of enabling his behavior and sort of minimizing it. There's and saying, that word again. Yeah, what? Enabling? Enabling. They were in denial for sure. They were in denial. Denying, enabling. Um, minimizing is another word they use. Right, minimizing. Oh, he's having a bad maybe they day. Weren't, maybe they weren't enabling him, but they were certainly... They're like, ah, they're you're saying overreacting. You're, you're overreacting. To her. Like, as like, he burned her house down. Right, right. Their house I mean, down. Me, everything else could maybe be debatable from afar, cause, like from the parents, because they don't know everything, but that is very clearly, <laughs> you know, psychotic criminal behavior. There's no way to sort of you know, make that easier to swallow. The guy like lit the house on fire right? and was like the SWAT, the whole schmear. And uh, it, they're nuts for doing that, but it's a defense mechanism. Yeah, mechanism. I guess. Son, you know. Right. But so she feels unsafe. Uh, she stays with her family for a little while and then she moves into a hotel and she's trying to, you know, get her, her job is like giving her some time off and stuff. Uh, and then she finds out that he got out on bail. Right. Like they gave him bail. Uh, and so she moves into a women's shelter for two days uh, with the kids. And then she's like, I can't stay there. She goes back to the hotel. She figures he's not going to find her and stuff. Uh, and he and he doesn't. He Like he stays away. Um, yeah, thankfully. Thankfully. Um, and then I don't think he... Oh, they... 
he still had visitation. It had yeah. to be supervised by his family or by the court at this point, right? Yeah. For, yeah. Earlier on, it was the family, which right. didn't go well. And then finally, he well, got court visitations. Well, he ended up taking the kids out of the county and bringing them to Oregon, like, yeah. you know, five Vis- counties away. And so violated the terms of the visitation. And then he lost it. Right. Then he lost it. Uh, and then he got... After he got out of jail. Okay. Well, he got he only got a year, right. and it was a year of pay jail, where you can go at 6 p.m., right. and then you at 6 a.m. you have to leave and go to work. I've heard of that. Do before. whatever, you know, and you're out all day, and, you know. You just, like, sleep there and spend yeah. the weekends. But apparently, during this period, he really did uh, start engaging with a program. Yes. And got off the meth, and wasn't overtly psychotic and over the course of the next couple of years they ended ended up like having a co-parenting relationship with the kids yeah and she's like i'm not so naive to think that he's not a, still a narcissist right. or a sociopath but i'm dealing with the person that's in front of me right now yeah. and right now he is in recovery he's going to his program is Sponsor was serving as the monitor for the kids' visitation. Yeah, you know, it sounded like he really. And this is a testament to how even the you know the worst so psychopath who's drug addicted and violent can somehow come back to society and maybe even contribute, maybe even be a good father, mm. possibly. And it says a lot about her her ability to kind of see that like you know, to be cautious and to still remember, but to say that, you know, people can change. Well, she says he's basically a, a totally different human right. being than yeah. he was when he was on, but I mean, he was on drugs during the entire, one drug or another during the entire penance, you know, time of this relationship, right? right? So she never really knew like what this guy was like when he wasn't on drugs. Right. You so, know? you know, uh, and so that was, that was the story. And if you'd like to hear it yourself, was there any other concluding uh, points there? Uh, I don't know. It got me thinking a lot about, you know, how, to what level did the drugs make this guy a raging, abusive asshole? And to what degree was he already a raging, abusive asshole and the drugs just made it worse? Yeah. And, that, and that's a topic that's come up a lot, you know, because this is the question and which came first the chicken or the egg yeah does your depression cause you to use or um did you use and become depressed you know i dealt with this when the um well okay depression is know. one thing but the kind of stuff like like i've been very high on crack and wasted on whatever and i can never imagine doing something like that to a, a somebody i'm right. a partner of like it just like it's just not i'm not wired that way Right, you know? so it, it, it's got to be in him somewhere that he can go to that place. All yeah. the manipulative behavior. But I mean, is that can you unlearn being a narcissist? Because I mean, the the per, those personality disorders, you know, the psych, psychiatric world says that they're almost impossible to treat because people don't recognize that they have a problem. Right. Yep. In fact, um, I um, the owner of the company I run is. Um, psychologist as i mentioned and we were discussing borderline personality disorder yeah and um and i was you know sometimes we get into these discussions about psychology and stuff and he was saying and i said isn't is there nothing that can be done for someone with 
borderline personality disorder. And he said, not really. There's no mm. pill you can take. He's like, you, they can learn to live with, with it mm-hmm. and, and, and assimilate to society and obey the laws and all of that. But, you know, as far as, you know, his studies and research and experience tell him that there is no like cure for that kind of uh, yeah. disorder. Psych- psychopathy too is supposedly something in there, sort of like being colorblind. Right. I only have two cones to process color. You have three. So therefore there's no way for me to ever learn how to see colors the same way that everyone else does. But you can get a pair of glasses. Boom. But there's no so, psycho glasses. Maybe, you know? maybe, uh, well, so you can learn to sort of not like go around murdering people indiscriminately, but you can't like be cured. Sort of like it. Dexter. Yes. If you ever exactly. watched Dexter. I yeah. love Dexter. It's a great, great show. Great show. Um, yeah, I, I mean, the guy's not a psychopath, though. He he was so. I, I think that the outcomes are slightly better if you're a sociopath. Yeah, but um, but the narcissistic thing is is very hard because then you can't accept the idea that you need to change anything. Right. But the thing that gives me pause about that is this guy did right. He went and he he admitted he had a drug problem. He worked the program. He got off the drugs. So. You know, you can, if you're addicted to like a stimulant, like methamphetamine or cocaine or something, you can, you certainly will exhibit psychopathic yeah. tendencies and sure. sociopathic I, tendencies. I think I did. I mean, to a point, not like that, but a lot of the things I was uh, diagnosed as post, you know, acute withdrawal and all of that, like bipolar, like yeah. I'm clearly not actually bipolar. I take no medication right. for it and I don't have symptoms of right. it, but I I guess I did if more than one psychiatrist said, this guy's got bipolar and he needs to be medicated. Right. But that was while you were... Just after. Yeah. So it was like that was in the wake of all of the damage, but it repaired and I got better. Maybe this can't actually repair. Well, I'd really like to hear this guy's side of the story. You know, I couldn't find the story. Like I was looking for this, like there has to be a newspaper article (laughs) about this. Well, they don't list in the show. It's called something was wrong. Well, everybody's... Uh, identity is yeah. disguised. But I will say this, the woman who story it was did an AMA on the subreddit of the podcast. So if you go... What is an AMA? Against medical uh, advice? No, AMA is a- Ask Me Anything. As, right. Yes, right? Of course I do. So, so if you look for um, something was wrong subreddit, she answers questions by uh, listeners. Oh, cool. Um, and I don't know if she's still doing it, but I... I I, what, one question I would ask would be, wh- how do you think he would tell this story yeah. from his point of view? Because, um, you know, there's obviously no excuse for the abusive behavior, right? Yeah. But is he, would he be liable to say, oh, it was the, it was the drugs that made me psycho. I'm, I'm not like that. You see the way I am now. Right. Or, or what would he, or would he say something else? You know, I, I would love to know where how he puts this in his head yeah. because I think it has implications for for treatment right like because if this guy has no real underlying psychopathology but it was just essentially created by methamphetamines doesn't that sort of speak to the way that you would treat it treat it 100% right? and that's where i think treatment is going and this is where I think it, it works best is when you get somebody clean in detox and then 
you get to their baseline eventually mm-hmm. when they're not using long enough, let's say 90 days. Right. And then you can make a determination as to whether the person has legitimate, you know, depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, Absolutely. whatever. Like, I think you have to get to that point before you can accurately treat someone for anything when it comes to drugs. I think you're right. And I think like even putting a time limit of 90 days on it is sort of, is sort of not understanding the problem because... Could be six months for some could, people. Right. Because, I mean, we don't, we don't take a cancer diagnosis and say, okay, you get six months of treatment, and if it's not gone right. by then, you know, good luck, Godspeed, right? Yeah, they so, bring you back, they test you, they see what more you need, you know, you get follow-ups every year. Well, some people, it's more complicated. Like, some people on, on drugs may exhibit symptoms of um, you know narcissistic disorder or or sociopathy, while others may manifest as depression or anxiety. Right, mm-hmm. so they're different, and yeah. one is more difficult to treat than than, than another. But I mean, it's funny. I'm on I'm on a uh, the Peloton sober group, right? And I, and once a week at least somebody posts a question about anxiety. I'm trying to quit drinking. I can't. I, every time I stop for a couple of days, my anxiety is out of control. And a lot of the answers are, and I've given this answer myself, like the cure for anxiety, typically, in my experience, it was time. The longer time that you go between you and the last drink, the less anxiety you'll have, yeah. but not always, right. because you may have an underlying anxiety disorder. The right. point is you will not know which one it is until, until you, you stop for a certain period of time. Same thing with marijuana uh, or cannabis. Right. Because it does have a withdrawal of anxiety and all of that, mm-hmm. as we've talked about. And so until you get past the point of that withdrawal period from any drug, you can't know whether or not you actually might need clonopin you right. know, or some kind of special therapy or tons of mushrooms. So I guess the takeaway for me here is that when you're treating addiction to something like methamphetamines, you really need to... You're talking about a long tail treatment. Here. Yeah, you need to get so. the substance out of the body, stabilize the neurotransmitters somehow, and then see what you got to work with. Yeah, and then on top of that, you have to do you know support services like yeah, are they going to therapy, group support? Um, you know what are they? What else? So you have to support their community as well. They need to be around the right people. Like the whole thing, mm-hmm. it's such a, it's so complicated and it's so different for each person that. Um, we really need the very, very best people, you know, available to treat. But it's like millions of people, right? You know, so th- therein lies the problem. Um, anyway, guys, so something is wrong. Episode thirteen, season no, 13. season thirteen, episode Episodes one, one and two, and two. It's called Behind the Curtain. Highly recommend. Uh, Wondery is a. I think you got to pay a little bit, or did you? Or you got to listen with ads. Oh, you can listen with ads. I think you. I I subscribe to Wondery, so I listen yeah, me to too. Free. So, but I think you can listen with ads. It, it's it's really really uh, thought provoking. Uh, it was a little triggering for me, so be warned out there. I mean, I really had a, I, I felt like a PTSD reaction. I was driving hmm. in my car, and I really started to get this like, well, yeah, this feeling, and I'm like, what is that? And um, I don't know, I don't know. So, anyway, that was our uh, discussion of. Something Was Wrong um, Behind the Curtain, Episode 1, Season 13. Highly recommend. Send us your thoughts at, to Mike R at middleagesrecovery.com or join us on the Facebook uh, discussion group. 
And um, yeah, I look forward to hearing what you guys have to say. Yeah, if you guys just follow us on the Facebook page, uh, do send us an invite or send us a request to join the private group because uh, we'd like to have more discussions like this or join the Patreon and discuss it on the Discord with um, a bunch of hardcore listeners. And with that, it is time. What is it time for? It's time for recovery in the news. Yeah! All right! Recovery in the news. Recovery in the news. Recovery. Recovery in the news. Motherfucker. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, motherfucker. Covering the news. Uh. <laughs> Remember when Joseph Naus came into the studio yes. and did that? <laughs> oh, I missed that guy. He, he, he did it wrong, though. He was like, you fuckers. You, you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you fucker. <laughs> uh, I was thinking about some of those guys that we interviewed, and I'm like, man, I, I missed those yeah, guys. We had such great conversations. Um, we really did. Joseph Naus, come back on the show, would you? Yeah. We should do you it. You don't have to come all the way no. to New York, though. You can. You can we could do it over the... Thing, the right. machine. Come on. Anyway, recovery in the news this week is uh, Anne Hesh. Anne Hesh. H. NBC News. How is it? I always heard it as Hesh. Anne Hesh. Is it? Anne Hesh. Uh, NBCnews.com has a think piece called uh, Anne Hesh Died a Tragic Death. That isn't stopping people from shaming her. Um, which, interesting. I, uh, I hadn't really considered that. Um, because I didn't really, I wasn't really following the story. I mean, I knew she was, you know, drove, drove, drove into the side of a house. Yeah. And their car exploded and there was a horrible fire and she was basically brain dead. Wow. Um, but I didn't really get any sense that the media was piling on until I read this article. Um, so anyway, uh, the author says that over the past week, she's despaired at the amount of vitriol directed at uh, actor Anne Heche after she suffered a fate I wouldn't wish on anyone. Um, apparently, um, okay, so she says, I find it incomprehensible that people think she's undeserving of empathy after experiencing such pain, the pain of like Burning, essentially burning to death in a car. Uh, she was under the influence of narcotics when she rammed into another woman's home. Um, and although some of Haish's friends, including actors Alec Baldwin, who has his own issues at the moment, and Rosanna Arquette posted messages of support for her on social media, they were greeted with criticism and scathing comments about her action, her actions. Um, so she was left for brain dead, and her family took her off life support on Sunday. Very sad. Um, but the author of this article asked whether that's enough to satisfy those who have been calling for her head. Um, the word that popped out, uh, to her was choice. There are accidents and there are choices, said one of the many Instagram users pummeling Alec Baldwin, adding that her choice burned down a family's home. Um, so now the author says something that is, it will not be come as a surprise to you or me. She says that I will make no friends for saying so, but I am not sure Haish did make a choice. The 53-year-old actor had been public about her struggles with drug abuse, as have I, the author. Uh, for me, the compulsion to use drugs never felt like a choice. It felt like a lightning strike. The rational part of my brain got shut down. I'm going to get high now. Thank you very much. Get out of my way. Uh, and it happened to her a few months out of rehab when her t- husband... A husband's two sons were over. They were watching um, sports on the couch, and her husband just, um, her oldest stepson just tapped her because her phone was buzzing, 
and she got up and she went out to go score heroin because like she that was her excuse that somebody was bothering her by tapping her on you know on the chest um but she went out and uh she actually ended up calling somebody before she used and ended up not using that day but um you know, and she acknowledged that being, like being poked awake while drifting off to sleep is not grounds for diving back into heroin addiction. Any fool knows that, including me, but I couldn't access good judgment in that moment. The wiring of my brain is compromised, and that's not a choice. Compulsion is the crux of addiction, and compulsion is an irresistible urge to behave in a certain way against one's conscious wishes, um, which really is bewildering, right? That because you go out and harm yourself against your own will... Um, and that doesn't make sense to people that don't suffer from that. Yeah, I've heard, I hear this a lot. I think a lot of you guys hear it too. This, um, people don't understand what it means to really be addicted uh, to a substance where you're doing it against all your better judgment. Uh, people used to say to me, do it, you know, when they were trying to convince me to stop. Right. What about your kids? Or why won't you do it to save your marriage? Do it for your kids. Or can't you do it? And how could you do that with kids? As though this was some decision that I sat down at a table with um, reading glasses and a calculator and was like, you know, what would be a better thing to do here? Yeah, that's what smart recovery wants right. to do. Cost-benefit analysis. Right, like, I'm, <laughs> who the fuck is doing that when you are about People to... People do it. Yeah, when you're about to go into withdrawal or you're in withdrawal, your brain sees survival only. You're not thinking, well, what would my son think if I were dead, you know, or how would this affect my... There's nothing like that going on in the head of a person... I'll speak for myself, for me, when you're in that scenario. Um, so it's a little more, it's not so simple as how could you choose that? I mean, choice does enter into it. We've spoken about that before. And it doesn't um, take away in Heche's responsibility for the behavior. But you can't, or you shouldn't, in my opinion, say that, look, she chose to burn this family's house down with her bad decisions like it it just doesn't work that way, I don't think. No. I, I think maybe in the beginning you have a choice sure. as to whether you're going to do something you're not going to do it. But once your day, dopamine system gets hijacked and it's, you, know, you have that reinforced behavior and then it, you're not even, you don't even have a conscious awareness of what you're doing anymore. Yeah. Um, you but you're not all, taking responsibility. Right. I mean, you How can have, you? right. You can have all the, the reasons in the world to not do it, but it doesn't you know, matter. Right. It doesn't Until matter. you separate yourself from the substance is long enough to get your brain back and eventually you get your soul back. But at first it's just the brain, the thoughts, then you can start to engage with the therapy they're forcing down your throat, which mm -hmm. is a good thing. And then maybe just maybe you can recover and start to actually make choices again. And hopefully you've learned enough to make the right choices. Yeah. But, so uh, condolences to Anne Hayes, yeah. family and the family of the, woman whose house she drove yeah. into and all that stuff. It's sad, very sad story, um, but uh, it's addiction. Sometimes it ends that way. It doesn't always end in recovery. Sometimes it ends in a fireball. Yep. And that's recovery in the news. Uh, is this a rap song? Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Okay. <laughs> and now it's time for Weekend Weird. Bear found high on mad honey in Turkey. By who? Tim Banal. Inside of a turkey? 
He was in the country of Turkey. Oh. I think. Okay. I bear- you never know with this guy, though, right? Tim it could have been inside of a turkey. Could be. Tim right. A bear cub in Turkey needed a helping hand after it managed to get its paws on some hallucinogenic honey that left the creature wandering <laughs> around a forest in a daze. <laughs> the weird incident reportedly occurred on Thursday in the country's douche. <laughs> D-U-Z-C-E, province. Douche province. Douche. Douche. Um, when the creature somehow found a reserve of what is known as deli ball or mad honey, mm. uh, the substance, which is largely only produced in this particular region of the world, as well as in the Himalayas. Don't you hate that pronunciation? I mean, I tend to use that one. Do too. you really? Yeah, I do. Himalayas. It's the Himalayas. Um, it is. Yeah. Uh, the world, as in the Himalayas, is derived from the honey produced by bees that have pollinated indigenous rhododendrons, which poses a neurotoxin known as grayantoxin. <laughs> Sounds interesting. Uh, well, something of a traditional medicine treatment. There's another one for a variety of ailments. A variety, including <laughs> anime and yeah. general depression and social disorder. Especially in bears. Yeah. Just a small dose of mad honey can produce hallucinations and a feeling of euphoria in mammals. Like us. In this particular instance, it is believed that the bear cub consumed a fairly significant amount of the substance on his way to a Grateful Dead show. <laughs> he was a dancing bear. <laughs> so, as it was found, barely able to walk and seemingly in distress. <laughs> Fortunately... Upon being discovered stumbling around the forest, the intoxicated creature was loaded into the back of a truck and taken to a nearby vet, where is subsequently slept off its stupor. Authorities say that the bear cub should be released back into the wild soon with what one imagines is a monstrous hangover. Um, incidentally, they also are sending him to a 28-day outpatient and inpatient combination rehab. For hallucinogenics? Turkey. Yeah. I Do mean, you think he needs it? I think he's got a problem. I'm... He should talk to that bear from Yellowstone that drank all that beer. Well, <laughs> I think maybe he should get together with Bigfoot because, you know, Bigfoot never is high. You know, he's always got his head on straight. <laughs> right. He's always foraging or doing something for his family. So maybe this bear can take a page out of Sasquatch's book. Um, you also might want to check out, there's a, a short documentary. I think it's either on YouTube or on Netflix about this these guys in Nepal who oh. go and harvest this honey, they have to climb up these. I've never because, heard of this. Because the bees are on these in these tall trees or in these cliff faces, and it's a very dangerous thing. But these guys like go all the way up there, and they don't have any like beekeeping equipment or anything, and they just steal the honey, and they eat it, and they get high in the forest. And um, this guy who was this... He couldn't have been more than like 22 or 23 years old. He was a tourist and he came and he made a little documentary about it and then ate the honey and got high with these guys. So just uh, interesting if you can find it. Mad if I can honey. find it, I'll throw a uh, link in. Mad honey. Mad honey. And that is Week and Weird. Well, that about does it for today, folks. I know I had a great time. Did you? It was awesome as always. Thank you so much for listening. Visit us at middleagesrecovery.com. Um, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, YouTube, Twitter. Blah, so, blah, blah. Tweet us a twat. You twit. What? Support your favorite show. Drop a five-star review. Join our favorite... Uh, sorry. <laughs> Join our private Facebook group. Please buy a t-shirt. We've got several. Oh, um, are you going to take those? If you're not recently or anytime soon, um, buy a t-shirt, simply write and say hello. We love meeting new monsters and chopping it up on the Facebook group. Join the inner sanctum at 
Patreon.com slash recovery in the middle ages for a higher level of recovery support. <laughs> higher level of support. Get high You're with a RMA. Funny man. Um, <laughs> so come join us. We love you guys. And finally, the best way to help the show is to share it with a friend. If you get something out of this, just share it. Help grow the RMA movement. We love you. Keep coming back. Do we say that? No. And we will see you next time. And as we say, non proficiat perfectum. That's stay fresh, cheese bags. See you next time. Be good. Bye. See ya. <laughs> <laughs>